welcome in to another episode of the Double Dupe Sports Podcast, episode 9 of season 5, recording here on a Tuesday night in College Station, Texas. I am your host, Tyler Dupnik, pleased to be joined once again, and as always, by my co-host and twin brother, Austin Dupnik. Austin, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing wonderful, just like always, Tyler. Happy to be here with you once again on a Tuesday evening and excited about uh, discussing all the content that we have on this episode. We're expecting a pretty simple and enjoyable episode here tonight. And how are you doing this evening? I'm doing good. This is our first episode uh, as former students, and uh, you know, obviously, like I mentioned last week, we graduated from Texas A&M University on Friday of last week, which was really awesome moment, and uh, and now we're you know part of a great Aggie network and uh, you know huge alma mater, and it's uh, really exciting for us. And it's, it's unique now as our 91st episode overall, and the first one we're not students, so uh, kind of a new chapter of our life. But for now, as we enter single digits on the DDSP of remaining episodes, we kind of round out season five about halfway through and kind of down the stretch here towards the summer. Uh, uh, we got a lot of great content still to talk about, uh, and especially on this episode. So thanks for listening. As, as always, you can subscribe, rate, and review if you haven't already on uh, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, wherever else you guys listen to our podcast. Certainly appreciate it. Uh, if you do that, if you haven't already, and you can follow us on social media. Again, you can find me, as always, on Instagram and Twitter at tdupe 25 yeah, and as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Doopy underscore Austin and on Instagram at AU underscore Doopy 10. So once again, if you guys do not follow us on those handles, please do because that is where we will post any podcast related stuff and also where we post other things as well. If you guys already follow us on Instagram, for instance, you saw our graduation uh, posts from this past uh, weekend, which was great for both of us and we were happy to share that. And so if you follow us, uh, you can see other stuff other than podcast related stuff, but podcast related stuff will be on those handles. So if you don't follow us yet, please do. Absolutely. All right, we'll go ahead and get to the content of this episode, and we'll start with the NBA as we have over the last couple of weeks as we continue to progress through the NBA playoffs. We are now into the conference finals in both sides, the Western and the Eastern. But before we get to those new matchups and uh, dive into those storylines and kind of give our updated predictions, we'll go ahead and finish up our recaps of the semifinals and how we got to where we are today. And so we'll swing back to uh, uh, Tuesday of last – was it Tuesday of last week? Yeah, Tuesday of last week, and that was, that was when we recorded. Um, and so we didn't get to recap those games that happened that night. So game five of the 76ers and Heat series uh, took place uh, last Tuesday uh, in Miami with a series tied at two games apiece. And the storyline in that series was that, you know, both teams had won those uh, their, their home games in that series. You know, Joel Embiid came back game three and the 76ers were able to do what they needed to do at home and even up the series at two games apiece. But they all knew, everybody knew they had to go on the road and win one in Miami and they just could not do that in game five. They got destroyed 120 to 85. Miami super impressive in this game. Uh, they had seven players in double figures. They shot it extremely well, uh, 53% from the field, almost 40% from three-point range. And uh, Jimmy Butler led the team with 23 points. Uh, Max Struess had a double-double with 19 points and 10 rebounds. And uh, ultimately, like, almost all I mean, all seven players that were in double figures all uh, shot 50% or better. So really impressive stuff from them. And defensively, we know the Heat are a good defensive team. They really stifled Tyrese Maxey in this game. He was 2 for 10, only had 9 points. Only three 76ers were in double figures. Uh, they didn't rebound the basketball that well either. They didn't have a single player who had double-digit rebounds, partially because the Heat were making pretty much every shot. So, um, you know, again, shooting over. 50% from the field. So really impressive stuff from the Heat at home, taking care of business, getting things done, and uh, taking a 3-2 series lead. Yeah, good stuff there for the Heat. As we move over now to the Western Conference playoffs, we had Game 5 of the Suns and Mavericks that night uh, in Phoenix, a pivotal Game 5 as the series was tied 2-2 two to two at this point. And in this game, we saw the Suns dominate for the most part, winning the game by 30 points. The final score, 110-80 to 80 in this one with the Suns getting the win at home against the Mavericks. Uh, in this game, we saw a big performance from Devin Booker, who had 28 points and 7 rebounds, and then 
DeAndre Ayton had 20 points and nine rebounds. Those two guys were the big players for the Suns in this one. Chris Paul didn't do as much offensively, but he did have 10 assists in this game. And then we saw Cameron Johnson and Mikel Bridges both score 14 points each to help out offensively. And overall, that was a, it was a good performance from Phoenix, obviously winning the game by 30 points. Uh, clearly, their defense was good, holding Dallas to just 80 points in this game. Uh, you know, Luka Doncic had 28 points in this game and 11 rebounds. And then Jalen Brunson had 21 points as well. But other than those two guys, uh, nobody else on the Mavericks was able to do too much in this game. Uh, and so that was why they struggled immensely and lost the game pretty handily. So at that point, the Suns took a 3-2 to series lead and certainly felt good about where they were at that time. As we move over to Wednesday now of last week, we had the uh, game five of the series between the Bucks and the Celtics uh, in Boston. Uh, the series was tied two to two at this point, and we saw the Bucks get the win in Boston, 110 to 107, an amazing comeback at the end down the stretch. Uh, the the Bucks outscored the Celtics by 12 points in the fourth quarter to win the game by three points. So. Clearly, they were clearly they were trailing uh, going into the fourth quarter by nine points, but were able to rally and get the win, uh, which is a huge win, obviously, because Game Five is always so pivotal. And to win this one on the road put them in a great position going back home for Game Six to potentially win the series. Uh, in this game, we saw Giannis Antetokounmpo have a monster performance. Uh, nothing new, I suppose. He had 40 points and 11 rebounds in this one for the Bucks, uh, as he was just terrific. And then Drew Holiday was really big as well for the Bucks. He almost had a triple double. He had 24 points, eight rebounds and eight assists. So really great performance from Holiday. And then we also saw Pat Connaughton and Bobby Portis finish in double figures with 13 points and 14 points respectively. And Bobby Portis also had 15 rebounds. So uh, those were the notable players for the Bucks in this one. And like I said, they had to rally at the end to come back in the fourth quarter and get the win, which is really surprising because I thought the Bucks would find a way to, I thought the Celtics rather would find a way to close it out having that nine point advantage going into the final quarter. Uh, but you have to give the Bucks credit. They rallied, you know, despite Jason Tatum having 34 points and Jalen Brown at 26 points so you know Tatum and Brown scored 60 of Boston's points in this one but you know despite those performances the Bucks were able to come up big in the fourth quarter outscore the Celtics by 12 and get the three-point win and like I said at this point they put themselves in a great position going into game six Good stuff there. Um, as for Game 5 in the Warriors and Grizzlies series, the Golden State had a 3-1 series lead going on the road to Memphis. Looking to close it out with a gentleman's sweep. We knew the Grizzlies didn't have John Morant anymore. Um, and so, you know, they were obviously at a disadvantage in that regard. They almost, you know, stole one in Game 4 on the road to get back home court advantage. Came up short at the end, but they did not lack any motivation for this one. They came out and played extremely well uh, really throughout the game. Uh, they outscored the Warriors by 10 in the first quarter. They were up by 27 at halftime, 77 to 50. And uh, when you had to consider, can the Warriors stave a comeback, you know, or can the, can the Warriors create a comeback down 27 in the second half? Uh, and, and the Grizzlies put that to rest for sure in the third quarter. They outscored them 42 to 17. So the Grizzlies just kept piling on. This was an absolute laugher. One of the biggest blowouts I think I've ever seen in the postseason. Uh, Memphis winning this game 134 to 95 when it was all said and done. Again, they had a huge third quarter outscoring them by 25. They're up by, what, 52 at the end of the third quarter, which is ridiculous to say out loud. And uh, they had three players who had 21 points exactly with Jaron Jackson Jr., Tyus Jones, and Desmond Bain. Uh, seven players in double figures. They shot it really well from three-point range, 43%. And the Warriors didn't really shoot that bad necessarily. I think they just couldn't get enough shots up, and they were just really poor um, on offense, obviously, only scoring. I mean, 95 points, but you feel like some of it was garbage time. They were just really outplayed for the first three quarters and just absolutely handled in this game. So looking to you know win the series, they did not play very well at all. 
And, uh, you know, their leading scorer was Clay Thompson. John the Kuminga actually was the second highest scorer on their team with 17. Jordan Poole struggled, only had three points in this game. So uh, that was pretty much the storyline there. It was just an absolutely uh, dominating performance by the Memphis Grizzlies to keep the series alive. As we head to Thursday, May 12th, the Heat and the 76ers uh, playing uh, in uh, game six um, of their series um, in Philadelphia. And, um, you know, this was a game where I actually didn't get a chance to watch much of it. Um, I, you know, I was busy on Thursday. And I actually, what was I? doing on Thursday. Oh yeah, we were watching the schedule release. That's what it was. So uh, I didn't get a chance to watch this one as much. Uh, pretty competitive game though for the most part. The uh, 76ers, of course, down in this series, three games to two, needing to win at home to uh, get a game seven down in South Beach. But unable to do that were the 76ers. They were defeated 99 to 90 by Miami. Um, in this game, the Heat were able to get, uh, you know, 32 points from Jimmy Butler. Uh, they were able to, you know, get a number of other players in double figures as well. P.J. Tucker had 12. Max Struess, he was big in this series. Another double-double. He had 20 points and 11 rebounds. Um, he was awesome for them as they shot almost 50% from the field. Didn't shoot it very well from three-point land, but the Heat typically don't shoot that many threes necessarily and uh you know on the for the 76ers perspective they had 20 points from Embiid and Maxi. so you know Joel Embiid though seven for 24 to get that 20 and Tyrese Maxey was nine for 22 to get 20 points so they weren't very efficient and I think the biggest storyline coming out of this game was the fact that James Harden was not aggressive at all didn't even attempt double digit shots was four for nine from the field and three for seven from three point range and he only took two shots in the second half uh, when they really needed him to come up big and so uh, I think a lot of people were scratching their heads I know Stephen A. Smith was really disappointed and really um um, you know, blast, uh, flabbergasted by a lack of effort there in terms of being an offensive threat because we all know what James Harden used to be. He's not that guy anymore, but two attempts in the second half, not going to do it. So the Heat able to go on the road and win a road game in that series, which nobody had done up until that point. They get a win in game six. They win the series four games to two and clinch your berth in the Eastern Conference Finals, the one seed taking care of business. Yeah, and a disappointing finish uh, for the 76ers with that one, losing at home to end their season. Uh, the other game that was played on Thursday of last week was Game 6 of the conference semifinals between the Phoenix Suns and the Dallas Mavericks. I just talked about Game 5 recently of this series uh, that saw Phoenix get the win and take the 3-2 to two series lead. But in this game, we continue to see uh, kind of what was the storyline uh, in this series for most of it was that home teams were just, you know, dominating. I mean, not so much early in this series, Series. There were some close games uh, in terms of like game one and game three were relatively close. But other than that, most of the time, the home team was just really dominating in this series. And we saw that in game six with the Mavericks winning 113 to 86. So a 27 point win for the Mavericks in this one, uh, a game where Luka Doncic played extremely well. Once again, 33 points, 11 rebounds and eight assists for Doncic in this one. Uh, and so he was really terrific again. But this time, unlike game five, where he was really good, he got contributions from more players than just Jalen Brunson. Uh, Brunson did have 18 points in this game, but then we also saw Reggie Bullock have 19 points in this one, and we saw Spencer Dinwiddie have 15 points as well. So we got good contribution from other players, and it was a, a good balance there for the most part. Uh, Dallas played well offensively, and, and clearly defensively too. The Suns only scored 86 points in this game. Uh, Devin Booker uh, only had 19 points. Chris Paul only had 13 points, so they you know didn't do too much together, and the leading scorer for the Suns was DeAndre Ayton, who had 21 points and 11 rebounds, but obviously as a whole, the Suns weren't able to do enough offensively, only scoring 86 points. So the Mavericks really, you know, kind of did to the Suns what the Suns did to them in Game 5. They did that to them in Game 6, getting a big win at home. And all of a sudden, the series tied at three games apiece, and then we were getting ready for a Game 7 on Sunday evening, which we'll talk about here in just a little bit. 
But first, we look at Friday, May 13th now. We had the Game 6 of the Celtics and Bucks series. And again, I talked about Game 5 uh, just recently, how the uh, Bucks were able to rally in the fourth quarter and get that win on the road and go up 3-2 to two in this series. And so that put the pressure on the Celtics to win a game on the road as well uh, to keep the series alive and to give themselves a chance to have a Game 7 back at home in Boston. And that's exactly what they did in Game 5, or excuse me, Game 6, as they were able to get the win in Milwaukee, 108-95, to a 13-point victory for the Celtics and they were led by Jason Tatum who absolutely took over in this game and was just phenomenal. 46 points for Tatum. He was just on another level that night making so many tough shots time and time again. He also chipped in nine rebounds and so nearly had a double-double in this one. He was amazing. Uh, Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart also did really good things for the Celtics. Uh, Brown had 22 points and Smart had 21 points and so those are the big players offensively uh, for the Celtics uh, and ultimately it was Tatum who led the way for Boston to get the win. Uh, as for the Bucks, you know, I don't think Giannis Antetokounmpo could have done much more than he did. He had he had a huge game in this one for Milwaukee. He had 44 points and 20 rebounds, a crazy performance from Giannis. Uh, but unfortunately for him, his teammates weren't able to help him out too much. Uh, Drew Holiday had 17 points and Pat Connaughton had 14 points. But other than that, nobody else scored in double figures. And so they didn't get enough offensive uh, performances, enough, enough quality offensive performances from other players to help out Giannis, who obviously had a monster game, but it wasn't enough because Tatum outdid him just a little bit, and the Celtics found a way to go on the road and get the win, which is obviously huge because this was an elimination game for Boston, and then winning the game, they uh, made this, tied the series up at three games apiece, and now they had an opportunity to host Game 7 of this series, which Tyler's going to talk about here in just a moment. Yeah, before I get to that, though, of course, I'll talk about Game 6 between Memphis and Golden State back in San Francisco. The Warriors with a chance yet again to close out the series and advance to the Western Conference Finals, and they were able to get the job done this time, winning 110-96 to over the Grizzlies. Uh, just too much of the Splash Brothers in this game for the Warriors. We know how good Klay Thompson's been in his career in Game 6s. Uh, he had 30 points in this game, 8 threes. He was awesome. Steph Curry had 29. Uh, they had five players in double figures, and uh, ultimately they were able to you know, knock down 23. The Warriors offensively really powerful in this game and uh, they were to do enough on defense as well. When you look at some of the stat lines for the Grizzlies, you know, Dylan Brooks had 30 points. He was great for Memphis um, kept him in it there for a little while, made some big shots. Uh, Desmond Bain had 25 points and, uh, you know, he was a big, big time contributor for them. Uh, Steven Adams had 10 rebounds, but it was uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. and Tyus Jones who were so good in that game five win for Memphis. They both had 21 in that game, but in this game they were combined seven for 31 from the field and two for 10 on three. So those guys didn't shoot it very well. And that was pretty much where I see the biggest difference here in the fact that the Warriors want to make more shots and, you know, at home, they're so hard to beat and uh, they were going to do what they needed to do and, you know, found a way to win uh, by double digits, although it was kind of close in the fourth. It was some pretty big threes. I think Thompson might have hit a big three or I know Curry did. That was pretty much the dagger. So Golden State back to the Western Conference Finals uh, as they obviously have had a couple of down years, but still uh, that core group of players still there in Golden State and they were able to get it done and uh, going back to the Western Conference Finals for, I believe, the sixth time in the last eight years. So pretty impressive stuff from those guys. And then as we head over to Game 7 between the Celtics and the Bucks, a uh, huge game this was going to be. We knew there was going to be a great uh, you know, series coming into it to give us everything we expected, going all the way to seven games. I believe I heard the Celtics got home court advantage the last day of the regular season, so they had the pleasure of hosting this game, which you had to feel like made an impact to some extent, and it always does. Always better to play at home in Game 7, and uh, TD Garden was rocking, and the Celtics were making a lot of big shots, and uh, they won this game 109-81. to uh, I don't know if I said the, the score in that Warriors game. They won 110-90. 
six uh, to, to win that series. Uh, the Celtics, again, like I said, they won 109 to 81, but I felt like it was a it was a decently close game throughout the first half and into the third quarter. But uh, the Celtics kind of pulled away and they had a lot of momentum and they were just a better team here in terms of shooting the basketball, which sounds so simple. But uh, the Bucks only made four threes. They were 12 percent from behind the arc. Uh, meanwhile, the Celtics made 22 threes in this game, 40 uh, percent from three point land. And it was all about Grant Williams here letting it fly. He was seven for 18. Yeah, he shot 18 threes, um, shot 22 overall, was 10 for 22 from the field. He had 27 points to lead the Celtics. Uh, Jason Tatum, as you expect, was great again, 7-14 from the field. He had 23. Uh, they were able to get uh, 10 rebounds from Al Horford, do some good things on the glass. Uh, Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart both had double figures as well. So uh, the Celtics and their defense, we know how good their defense is. Uh, we know how good they've been since 20, you know, in the calendar year of 2022. They got all the momentum down the stretch of the season. They've won so many games, um, you know, since January, whatever it was. We know they kind of just flipped a switch, and that's how they got the two seed and were so good all season long here. Um, and they have a lot of momentum coming into this. Uh, again, they had the same record as the Bucs, but we knew it was going to be a really great series. They were down three games to two, as you talked about those other you know, couple of games that you mentioned, so they had to kind of rally back. But the huge win in game six brought it back here in game seven, and you know, the Bucs were able to get you know, 20 rebounds and 25 points from Giannis, so he did his thing. And Antetokounmpo was really great throughout the entire series. I think he became the first uh, player in NBA history to have 200-plus points, 100-plus rebounds, and 50-plus assists, I think, in a series. And it's in a losing effort, though. You know, credit to the Boston Celtics doing what they uh, have done so much down the stretch this year. And, you know, defensively, they were great. And Drew Holiday had 21 points. But, uh, you know, you have, to, you, know, you have to feel like the Bucks are sitting there saying, what if? Because Chris Middleton, of course, had the MCL spring. He missed the whole series. He's a big part of what they do. And, you know, credit to them for getting into Game 7 without one of their best players. But the Celtics can't control that uh, they had their guys healthy they had Robert Williams miss you know a handful of games as well so the Celtics a big series and they get the win in game 7 109 to 81 and off to the Eastern Conference Finals they certainly have you know aspirations to win the whole darn thing this year and they got it done in game seven to give themselves another chance yeah, definitely an amazing performance by the Celtics. And, you know, it was just so big when they were able to win game six. They put themselves in a great position to win game seven, and then they were able to deliver. And like you said, the Bucks didn't have Chris Middleton. And so you're wondering what would have happened in that series had he been healthy. But that's the way it goes sometimes. And the Celtics certainly did uh, what they needed to do and yet to get them credit. So it sets up an exciting Eastern Conference Finals between the Celtics and the Heat. Uh, the final game that we had to recap happened on Sunday evening. It was Game 7 of the Western Conference semifinals between the Dallas Mavericks and the Phoenix Suns. Uh, I was able to talk about both of the other games uh, that we were able to recap. I talked about Game 5 and Game 6 already here on this podcast episode. And so now I'm going to talk about Game 7, which was certainly a very shocking game on Sunday evening. I talked about how the home teams had been dominant in this uh, series for the most part. And so it was surprising to see the result on Sunday evening when the Mavericks went on the road in Game 7 and demolished demolished the Suns. They won the game 123 to 90, which is a 33 point victory, but it was a lot worse than that at one point. Well, maybe not a lot worse, but the high water mark was uh, somewhere in the forties. It was just an absolute blowout by the Mavericks who came in there and played unbelievable basketball led by Luka Doncic, who had 35 points and 10 rebounds in this one, but also Spencer Dinwiddie, who just played so great in this one, shot the ball so well, especially from deep. He had 30 points in this game for the Mavericks, and he was a guy that they traded for at the trade deadline line from you know they got him from the Wizards and traded Chris Porzingis and that you know trade looks big now because you know at least in this game he came up 
huge. I know he's had some big moments throughout the course of the season since he was acquired by Dallas. I don't think he had a he had a huge performance or had a huge impact in this series until this game. Uh, but if you're going to have a game to go off, and this would be the one, and he was certainly huge in this game. Uh, Jalen Brunson was also really pivotal. Was also really uh, impactful once again. 24 points for Brunson in this game. So those three guys led the charge uh, for the Mavericks and really accounted for most of their points. You know, when the game was still you know at a point where it mattered, because at some point you know the Mavericks were able to take out their guys because they were winning by so much. You know, the Suns just didn't play well at all. You know, Chris Paul t- only had 10 points, really struggled. Him and Devin Booker really struggled in this game, and that just isn't what they had. You know, they had to be good if they were going to win this game, and Paul only had 10 points, and Booker only had 11 points, and then Cameron Johnson led the team with 12 points, uh, but it was a terrible performance by the Suns, who only scored 27 points in the first half. They were losing by 30 points in halftime, and, you know, they only scored 27 points, and Luka Doncic had 27 points in the first half all by himself. He was just putting on a show in that first half in Phoenix and just really was a, it was an amazing performance. And then the third quarter, it just got even worse. He thought maybe the Suns could, you know, obviously they weren't going to give up and they were going to see what they could do in the second half. But in the third quarter, the Mavericks just made it even worse. They scored 12, they outscored the Suns by 12 points in the third quarter. They led by 42 points at the end of the third quarter. And, you know, it's just uh, an amazing performance by the Mavericks and a terrible performance by the Suns, you know, at home in game seven, trying to get back to the finals again like they did last year. And they just didn't come through. They really flopped in this game. And it was really based on Booker and Paul playing so poorly in this one for Phoenix. So a tough loss for the Suns, but good credit to the Mavericks. And now they're going to the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, hard to believe how that one turned down. I mean, it was just uh, it was such a laugher right off the bat, and uh, the Suns were just outplayed from right from the start. And you know, like you said, I mean, Devin Booker and, and Chris Paul were they weren't able to get good shots, weren't able to make any good looks that they did have. And then uh, ultimately, they just and the Mavericks just came out playing so much harder and so much better, and they just took such a great lead that it was just like the game was pretty much over. It felt like at halftime, even though there was certainly a chance they could come back. But even then, the Mavericks put you know kept their foot on the gas right out of the third quarter, and uh, like you said, the high water mark was somewhere in the 40s. Uh, would, would think somewhere up there it was really quite remarkable and to do it on the road I mean I wonder what Jason Kidd told his guys uh, you know just imagine this place is American Airlines Center and it's going to be okay you know because they came in there and uh, they just made it look so easy so because at home they had obviously no no obviously the road teams hadn't won a game in this series and so they knew they had to if they wanted to move on and they hadn't really played well in that building and of course we coming into the series we the Mavericks hadn't had a whole lot of success against the Suns just in general so to go out there and do that you know Luka Doncic obviously one of the best players in the NBA just absolutely cold blooded in that first half big time shots you mentioned Dinwiddie he was awesome for them so uh, you know we they had, now we set now it sets up Luka versus Steph it sets up a Western Conference Finals between the Mavericks and the Warriors uh, so we have the top two seeds in the Eastern Conference Finals we have the three and four um, in the Western conference finals and we have a team in the Warriors who are perennial power out in the West six of the last eight seasons like I said now in the Western Conference Finals a staple um, in that series and then the Mavericks who are making it to the Western Conference Finals for the first time since they won the whole thing in 2011 so uh, they're back for the first time in quite some time and so that'll be a really fun series to watch Um, overall when you look at it you know and I was talking about after the game after that series was decided, I was I mentioned that uh, the, the Golden State Warriors now have a chance within this dynasty to pull off the Texas trifecta. Of course, they beat my Rockets in the Western Conference Finals two times, which uh, still stings back in 2015 and, and especially 2018. Uh, they beat your Spurs 2017 in the Western Conference Finals, and now they have a chance to beat the Mavericks uh, here in the 2022 Western Conference Finals. So we'll see if they could pull that off and find themselves back in the NBA Finals yet again here over the last decade. So uh, as for the Conference Finals, as I was we are all caught up now and we can talk about that a little bit more. 
Uh, the Celtics and the Heat are currently playing right now. Of course, the Celtics, the two seed on the road against the one seed Miami Heat. The Celtics without Al Horford tonight. They also don't have Marcus Smart. So some injuries there, uh, you know, early on. So, but they're they're currently, as we speak, they're winning 63 to 59 early in the third quarter. But we can go back to our updated NBA playoff predictions because after I got you know seven after I went seven and one in the first round, um, I went three and four. Or excuse me, one and three uh, in in the conference semifinals. Just it was more upsets and it was more, and I just wasn't expecting that obviously I didn't do as well as I thought I was going to I called the wrong upset and that kind of went backwards so um, as for my updated ones out in the west I have the three seed Warriors over the four seed Mavericks in six games um, but certainly you can't count out the Mavericks and I mean I, I'm not you know expert I mean I don't know I, I mean who nobody knows what's going to happen so I'm trying to say so it's a great series it could go seven games as the Warriors have been here so much um, they're just going to be tough to beat you know a seven game series obviously but the Mavericks just knocked out the reigning Western Conference champs so who knows and then in the Eastern Conference I have the Celtics over the Heat uh, the two seed Celtics over the one CD in seven games. I think that all will go all the way to seven. I think it'll just be really competitive throughout. Um, but obviously they both could and no one really knows what's going to happen. They're obviously great teams if they got this far and they're playing really well at this point in time. And they all have guys who can score the basketball and they're all pretty good defensively. So uh, these, are, these are the best four teams. These are the last four teams remaining and you can make the case that they're best four and that's how it should be. Yeah, it's definitely going to be exciting. And for me, my updated uh predictions you know we had the same initial prediction so I was also you know seven and one in the first round and then uh, one and three in the uh, semifinals of the respective conferences so I have the Celtics over the heat in seven games in the Eastern Conference Finals I figure it'll go to seven games because these two teams are really good they played so well and I just figure that it's going to be really competitive we saw the Celtics series go to seven games the heat series almost went to seven games against the uh, yeah the Celtics in the Bucks series went to seven games obviously and then the heat 76ers series nearly did so I mean these games are all really tight teams are having a hard time winning on the road I feel like so I feel like it's going to be a seven game series but I have, but I have the Celtics defeating the Heat because I already had the Celtics in the finals I want to stick with them you know getting that far at least and then in the Western Conference finals I have the Warriors defeating the Mavericks in seven games and that one will go to seven games too because the Mavericks are just playing really really well right now and I think I believe in Luka they're going to find a way to win all their games at home you know and they're not because if, if you're, you're thinking it's going to be in six games as you said right so you're thinking the Warriors are going to win one of those games in Dallas and I think that, that Luka and those guys will find a way to defend home court but I'm not sure if they're going to get a win on the road in this series it's going to be really difficult for them to do that so we'll see what happens but it should be a lot of fun obviously a lot of star power still left in the in the playoffs uh clearly that's why these teams are still here they have amazing players elite athletes elite players in the game and so it's going to be a lot of fun to watch both series and you know the celtics heat series is happening right now game one got started tonight and that's going to be on espn all the way through and then we'll have uh, and i think probably on abc at a couple of different times as well but they're going to be you know led by that group of guys and then the mavericks warriors series starts tomorrow eight o'clock p.m uh, Central Time Game One gets underway, and that's going to be on TNT all the way through that series. And then, of course, the finals will be starting. I think June 2nd, if I'm not mistaken, is when those get un underway. You know, it's the only date where they can actually say this is when it's going to start. Um, so right now, looking ahead, just uh, reaching far out there. If these two series do go to seven games, uh, then they won't conclude until Sunday, May 29th, and Monday, May 30th, respectively. If they both go to seven games, it's going to be a while, obviously. Uh, but we're looking forward to it. They should be two great series between, you know, four great teams here. And it's going to be really fun to see who ends up winning their respective conferences and who faces off in the NBA Finals. 
Uh, so be just swinging it back and forth every every other day uh, within their series. So I don't think there's a game. Oh, there's not going to be a day on the calendar. I don't think where they're going to be playing on the same day because they don't want to have off days. And at this point, they can control a little bit more and uh, travel is probably not that big of a deal and whatever the NBA decides to do. But as for my updated NBA Finals predictions, I kind of had to make a change there as well with the Suns being my champion. They got knocked down. If you did you make you didn't make an updated NBA final? You did okay. You're like giving me. I was shaking my head because I, I haven't revealed that yet. Oh, but yeah, I didn't. No, make no, it. I know I didn't. Say. Yeah, yeah. I was just. Yeah, I, that's part of the reason why I have the Celtics getting to the NBA Finals still is because I I still believe in them. I had them initially getting all the way. I still believe in them. I don't really as long as they can kind of get healthy, and uh, and you know that would be the only thing that I would de- you know, be a detriment to them. But I have the two seed Celtics over the three seed Warriors in seven games. So uh, I think that, again, if that ends up being this series, that would be you know so many so many guys who can score the basketball. But again, the the, the defense by the Celtics has just been so good at times and. Uh, neither of those teams are like that big. I don't think necessarily. So it'll be interesting how they play inside. But overall, that'll be a heck of a series. And I just, if I, I had the Celtics, you know, losing to the Suns in the NBA Finals, the, now that Phoenix is out, I'm like, well, if the Celtics, I had them going all the way, and there was only one team that I thought could beat them, you know, has that changed? I'll just stick with the Celtics to actually uh, to make it, and then actually take it all this year. Yeah, I did the same thing. You know, go figure. Our predictions, our updated playoff predictions are still the same thing. But I do have the Celtics over the Warriors in the NBA Finals. But I have it in six games. Uh, just because I like to stick with the six games in the NBA Finals and any other seven-game series like the final championship, I like to do that for whatever reason. It's just something that I do. Um, I think the Celtics will get a win on the road in that series. But they'll defend home court and they'll get the job done. And I don't know if they're going to, you know, I guess that means they're going to win game six, in my opinion, then, you know, on the road. I mean, I, I guess if they are, I don't actually know who would be hosting the series I don't know if it's something that they that they I mean I'm guessing it'll be the Celtics but anyways uh, that's where we're at right now those are our updated NBA playoffs predictions now that we had some of our teams uh, most of our teams that we had getting this far get upset we certainly had the uh, NBA, the Eastern Conference and Western Conference finals looking much different than they do but it's all good we're still really pumped for it. it's gonna be a lot of fun to see how these series unfold over the next two weeks or so we'll be excited to uh, talk about the NBA finals whenever they're set in a couple of weeks I, I'm pretty sure that no matter when these series end I don't think the finals are gonna start to like June 2nd because I've seen commercials where they're like NBA finals starts like June 2nd I believe it is or it's June 1st 2nd 3rd one of those days so even if these series wrap up as soon as possible they're still not gonna have them I don't think they're gonna start the finals any earlier than they're supposed to so uh, I think in about two weeks, we'll be ready to preview the NBA finals. We'll be excited to figure out who is playing in the finals this year. Yeah, it looks like it'll be the Warriors if that was the, if that was the case because they, they were uh, uh, 53 and 29 in the regular season. The Celtics were 51 and 31. So I'm assuming that just goes to the highest record of uh, remaining. So uh, I think the Warriors would actually be hosting. So you actually have them winning on their home floor uh, up there at TD Garden in Boston. But and so I would have them actually winning on the road. But again, it's, the series isn't set yet, and who knows exactly how it's all going to play out. It's been a lot of fun uh, so far. We thought it was kind of predictable in the first round with no upsets, but in the last you know in the last round we had a couple of upsets. So um, in the West. Western Conference, so we'll see how it goes here in the conference semifinals. Always a fun time. Every other day, we got some you know, really high-level basketball. We can only hope that these series uh, can just be can be can live up to the hype, you know, with how how many star players are available and and all the great things we have to look forward to there. So. That's all we have for the NBA postseason for this episode. Uh, we have one more thing for the NBA. The NBA draft lottery results uh, were, were you know, taken care of earlier this evening. So we're recording here after that was done. I don't think I mentioned that last week, but I definitely knew because, you know, I, I mean, there was a time when the Rockets were in the playoffs every single year and I uh, never had to really keep track of the lottery that much because it didn't really matter that much. But now that we're rebuilding, we've been so bad the last couple of years, certainly the lottery is a big date on my calendar as a Rockets fan. So I knew that today was the NBA draft lottery and uh, we were, you know, had the worst record in the NBA last year. So 
along with the Pistons and the Magic, um, actually the Thunder as well, based on the picks that they had, all had a 14% chance of you know getting the number one overall pick. So being in that top three and top four, certainly I uh, was really excited and hoping that everything worked out really well in this draft lottery. And uh, thankfully for my Rockets, we were able to secure a top three overall pick. Uh, first overall, though, went to the Orlando Magic, so good for them. Uh, second overall was the Oklahoma City Thunder. They talked about it pregame, those guys, or right before the lottery. Some of the analysts they had up there were talking about how, you know, the Thunder have traded for all these draft picks, and then they didn't have a top three, you know, they weren't one of the top three worst teams this year, so they didn't have 14% chance initially, but because they had a pick from the Clippers and the Paul George trade, that gave them an extra little boost uh, percentage-wise to have a 14% chance, which gave them better odds. And so they must be really stoked that, that it worked out for them to get a top three pick. They got the number two overall pick, which is exciting for that young group. My Houston Rockets got the third overall pick, which I'm really excited about. I think a lot of people will kind of consider Chet Holmgren, Jabari Smith, and Paolo Bancaro to be uh, probably, you know, one, two, three, not exactly in that order, but, you know, who knows. But those three probably going to be the top three. So those are guys, I think any one of those guys could help us a bunch, uh, give us size, give us shooting ability, um, good defenders and guys who can really, you know, control the basketball as well and can, you know, really help us out a lot because I think we have the guards and plays. I feel like we just need more size and, you know, that would be really exciting for us. So I'm, I'm super happy about getting a top three pick. That's, you know, being one of the worst teams in the NBA, it's really all you can look forward to at this point is hoping that the lottery works out in your favor. So we were in the top three, which I think really helps us out a lot, guarantees one of those three for us, which is really exciting. The Sacramento Kings were the fourth overall pick and uh, that was great for them I think they kind of leapfrogged the trailblazers and it worked out for them to have a top four pick uh, the Detroit Pistons, they were, again, along with my Rockets and the Magic, uh, one of the worst teams. They had really good odds, but they didn't work out for them. They were the fifth overall pick. Of course, last year worked out. They got the number one pick, got Kate Cunningham. This year, not so much. Uh, still a top five pick, but they certainly didn't get, they got the short end of the stick and didn't weren't very lucky in this lottery as they got the fifth overall pick. Uh, the Indiana Pacers were the sixth overall pick, and the uh, Portland Trailblazers got the seventh overall pick. All right, and then as far as the other seven picks that were revealed tonight, the eight the eighth overall pick went to the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, the ninth overall pick went to my San Antonio Spurs, which was, I think, what was expected. And that's our highest uh, draft pick since 1997 when we drafted Tim Duncan number one overall. So that's exciting for me. I'm hoping that whoever we get there can be an impact player for us that can help accelerate our rebuild. Has been in the lottery for the past couple of years now after not having been in the lottery for a very long time. Uh, the 10th overall pick went to the Washington Wizards. The 11th overall pick to the New York Knicks. The 12th overall pick to the Oklahoma City Thunder, who are the only team that has two lottery picks in this upcoming draft. And then the 13th overall pick went to the Charlotte Hornets, and the 14th overall pick went to the Cleveland Cavaliers. And so those are the top 14 teams, uh, or the, or the, uh, the top 14 picks in this uh, this year's NBA draft, and that's pretty exciting for all these teams. Yeah, the New Orleans Pelicans, of course, made the playoffs. That 8th overall pick was courtesy of the Los Angeles Lakers and the Anthony Davis trade, and the Oklahoma City Thunder having that 12th overall pick Again, that one came in the Paul George trade. So the Thunder, you know, like you said, two picks. Uh, they're they're really young. We know all the picks that they have. What Sam Presti, their general manager, has done. They were talking about it again before the the cover before the lottery was revealed. I think they had they have 26 picks, I think, over the next or 17 picks, I think, over the next five years. So that's obviously pretty ridiculous because there's only two rounds in the NBA. They're they're already pretty young. They already have a young group of guys. They're trying to build a foundation here. They certainly have a lot of capital moving forward, and they have some really great opportunity come June 23rd when the NBA draft takes place. A uh, week before our birthday and so I'll be looking forward to it for sure like I said I'm really excited about how it all worked out for the Rockets of course you always want to have the number one overall pick when you're in that position but I felt like top three would be I'll be happy with it and so thankfully we weren't like the Pistons and got the short end of the stick we got a third overall pick which is uh, really exciting for us so 
We'll move on now to the uh, NFL. And again, the NFL schedule was, was released last Thursday night. Always a great time uh, on the NFL calendar. Really the last big day in the offseason because we still have OTs and all that stuff. And of course, training camp. But we're almost in that period where nothing really happens for about a month or so uh, right there in the middle, right there towards the end of the NFL offseason. This was kind of like the last big thing we can talk about for a moment. And, and, and the uh, event, you can turn on the NFL Network and watch it for three hours and enjoy all the discussion about all the great games that we have coming up this season. We obviously knew who the matchups, what the matchups were going to be like who they're going to be playing where it was going to be but now that we have the time the primetime games the channel all of that stuff it makes it a full picture and it, make, it gets everybody really excited four months ahead of time for what the schedule is going to look like and so we'll just run through uh the nfl early every single week and, and uh, give our favorite game for each week it's something we've done before in the past you talked about it earlier to me off air it was uh, it's always a tough exercise because you know there's obviously quite a bit of great games in every single week so it's hard to pick just one and they certainly all carry their storylines and you're trying to mix it in i know you probably Probably more than me tried to mix in the teams a little bit and I tried to mix in time slots make sure that I referenced the time slot everywhere somewhere along the way but certainly a lot of uh, exciting games and I'll get it started here in week one if that's fine with you um, with the uh, I'm gonna go with the Bills at the Rams that's the opener on NBC so the NFL kickoff game kind of low-hanging fruit because obviously at this point when you get to that day on September 8th you're gonna be I'm gonna be really excited that football is officially back but it's an outstanding game too it's a potential Super Bowl preview of course we have the reigning Super Bowl 56 champion LA Rams getting to host that game and uh, you know of course they won in that building and now there they are again getting a chance to hang a banner and Von Miller now with the Bills goes back to LA to get his ring already Ralph right off the bat here in week one so and it's a, you know again Josh Allen the Bills really good again this year they're going to be outstanding and so it's a really fun interleague matchup too there's just so many storylines it's just so much star power and open the season with that game is going to be so much fun to watch yeah, and that's a, definitely a good one, and I could have gone with that one. I know with the kickoff game last year when we did this, but certainly I know I'm going to be excited for that game. It goes without saying. So I went with the last game of week one, which is also an exciting interconference matchup. It's the Denver Broncos at the Seattle Seahawks on Monday Night Football. Russell Wilson's first game with the Broncos comes in his old stomping grounds where he helped them win their first and only Super Bowl. And so that's going to be really amazing to watch him play on the road, you know, in front of the fans that used to cheer him. Now that he's going to have to be dealing with the crowd, whenever he, usually he's the guy who doesn't have to deal with the loud atmosphere in Seattle. So that's going to be just a fascinating game to watch. It's also the first game of the Monday Night Football schedule and now Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, if you can believe that, are calling Monday Night Football. Obviously, they used to, you know, obviously called so many games on Fox over the years and now, you know, Monday Night Football, they're going to be doing that. So that's really exciting as well. The next game here for me, week two, I have the Arizona Cardinals at the Las Vegas Raiders. This is at 325 on CBS. Uh, I was looking at a couple different games here, but I went with this one. This is the going to be the home debut for Devontae Adams with the Raiders. It's their first home game of the season. I think it should be a fun one. This is a team that obviously went, uh, oh, the moves they made in the offseason to bring in Devontae Adams and Chandler Jones, who's going to be playing his former team in the Cardinals. Those are exciting moves, and I think it's the first game for the Raiders, and they could be the best team in that division. This could be a big year for Las Vegas, so this one should be fun. Yeah, definitely. For me, week two, I went with your Bengals at the Cowboys. Late afternoon game on CBS. You know, the Cowboys at home. Uh, first two games of the season, they bring in Tom Brady on Sunday Night Football in week one. They bring in Joe Burrow week two uh, against the Bengals. So, of course, the reigning AFC champions, a lot of young talent on the field. Cowboys, obviously America's team, but uh, everyone loves Joe Burrow and the Bengals and stuff because they're a young, fun group to watch. So I think there'll be a lot of uh, fun to watch in that game. Just a lot of really exciting matchup. And, uh, and early on, kind of a big-time interleague matchup. I think it's intriguing just – 
the interleague matchups like you're going to see. I put a decent amount of them on here because I think it's always fun to see those matchups. So um, as for week three, I have the Packers at the Buccaneers. That's a late afternoon game on Fox. Um, of course, it's Aaron Rodgers versus Tom Brady. So I always have to think about the quarterbacks, you know, first and look at a matchup and kind of the storyline that, you know, provides right off the bat. So that's a huge matchup. Obviously, probably the last time we'll ever see those two. It's a, I think that's the first time they, they're going to meet since the NFC Championship game, you know, in 2021 when the Buccaneers went to Green Bay and, and pulled off the upset there. And of course, we're on to win the Super Bowl. So uh, going to be a lot of fun to watch that. The Buccaneers pretty much got everybody back again now that Tom Brady is coming back. They're a good group and the Packers are not a rebuild by any means, but they have some new talent without Devontae Adams now. So we'll see how that goes. And I think it'll be a fun one to watch down there in Tampa. Yeah, and I agree. I think week three also, Packers at Buccaneers on Vox at 325 should be really fun to watch. You know, I don't think they played last year, so last time we saw these two teams score off was in the NFC Championship. You just mentioned I that. Just I wasn't that. listening, so Dang I'm it. sorry about that. <laughs> but yeah, and also last time these two teams played in Tampa Bay, it was a real shellacking. The Packers got hammered in that one by the Buccaneers. So they, it'll be interesting to see if they're more competitive in this game. And like you said, it's Rodgers versus Brady. Is it, the last, is it the last time ever between these two amazing Hall of Fame quarterbacks? We'll see, so it should be a lot of fun. Uh, week four, it's your Miami Dolphins at my Cincinnati Bengals on Thursday night football. Had to go with this one, even though we do have a Super Bowl 55 rematch uh, in week four on Sunday night football between the Chiefs and the Buccaneers. But I had to go with this one because it's our two teams squaring off in prime time in Cincinnati. Should be an absolute blast. It's also on Thursday night football, which is only going to be on Amazon Prime Video this year. It's going to be Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreit calling those games now, which is a really strange uh, pairing, I guess. But I think it's going to be interesting to see, and I think it'll be fun. Anything with Al Michaels is gold so it's gonna be fun to watch for that reason and also just to see you know burrow versus tua you know my team against yours it's always fun when our team square off and now for it to be in prime time is really fun for the both of us Definitely. Uh, it goes without saying. It's also week four, which is funny because a long time ago we played on week four. Very early in our careers as NFL fans of these two teams. And that was that was quite a while ago. And now, again, somehow it's on week four on Thursday night again. And I so think it's the same day, too, September yeah, 29th. Yeah, yeah, somehow it is. Like, it's yeah. been like Snapchat memories and flashbacks of like young us uh, long before this. And so that'll be kind of funny. Yeah, that's that's pretty wild. And uh, the storylines, obviously, with the quarterback playing, we're going to be better. I, we better be better. I, mean, <laughs> I think we're definitely going to be, I think we're going to surprise some people. I think we're going to be really good this year. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch so uh, a lot of speed on the field a lot of talent on display especially offensively the defense is going to be challenged it's going to be super fun and again when our two teams collide and they put us in prime time it just feels right uh, and so that'll be certainly be a lot of fun for both of us that, that was definitely my game as well week four had to go with that one as for week five, I went back to Thursday night football with the Colts at the Broncos. I um, mean, this is kind of like the uh, tell of the offseason a little bit. You know, all the turnover, all the roster changes, the quarterbacks that have been moved around. The Colts now have Matt Ryan under center. The Broncos have Russell Wilson under center. This game's in Denver. Both these teams have big-time goals and expectations set out for themselves this season with a lot of talent, great running backs in this uh, game as well. So a Thursday night game that certainly has a lot of pizzazz. These two guys used to face off in the NFC in the postseason at times, and now they face off in the AFC on a Thursday night out in Denver going to be a really good one I think between the Colts and the Broncos yeah, that one should be fun. As far as me, week five, I have the Las Vegas Raiders at the Kansas City Chiefs on Monday Night Football. This one should be a lot of fun. I know last year these two teams squared off, had a great game in Las Vegas last year, uh, but the Chiefs end up winning that one. And then when they played in Kansas City, it was not a good game at all. The Chiefs really blew out the Raiders. But as we know, the Raiders are much better this year. Now that they've added Devonta Adams and other pieces, they're going to be really exciting. The Chiefs lost Tyreek Hill. So I think these teams are way more balanced now. Should be a lot of fun to watch that game on Monday Night Football and Arrowhead to see how it shakes out. Uh, 
as far as week six, the Buffalo Bills at the Kansas City Chiefs for me. This one's at 325 on CBS. Obviously, we know Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, two of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And we know how, you know, how uh, stacked the AFC is. These are two of the best teams in the AFC. We know the amazing game they had last year in the AFC divisional round, that crazy game in overtime that changed the rules of overtime, at least in the playoffs, I believe. And so we know how good that game was. We know how good a lot of these games have been between the Bills and the Chiefs over the past few years with Allen and Mahomes at the quarterback position. And so it should be a really fun game to watch. I think it's going to be just fascinating. So that definitely, for me, has to be my week six game. Yeah, it's also my week six game. Bills at Chiefs late afternoon, CBS. Uh, that's going to be obviously really exciting. The storyline sells itself with everything that happened last year, as you mentioned in the postseason. The Chiefs don't have Tyreek Hill anymore, and they're a little bit new look offense, you know, especially with the wide receiver room. But you still have to, you know, you're still drawn to them because it's Kansas City and because they've had so much success and because they're always in the AFC Championship every year, it feels like. And of course, Patrick Mahomes is uh, still so fun to watch. So, and Josh Allen, you're trying to get revenge. Those guys, again, I already had them on here at once in the opener. So the Bills are going to be really talented this year. And they're, you know, everybody, I mean, I can't, you have to, we watch Josh Allen. It's always going to be a show. And he's always he's so talented in so many ways. So it's always going to be a good one. And those two teams collide. Certainly that one is going to be uh, really exciting in week six. That's one that I think a lot of people are going to circle on their calendars. As for week seven, I had to go with the Steelers at the Dolphins on Sunday night football. Love us home Sunday night game for us. So we don't get very many of these. We haven't over the last you know handful of years or even decade or so. I know we had a, a home Sunday night game against the Raiders when they were still in Oakland. So uh, this is going to be really fun and even more than the match itself because I'm not that high on the Steelers, but they're going to be somewhat intriguing. It's more about us, the Dolphins. And of course, this year is the 50th anniversary of the perfect season, 17-0 with Don Shula and all those guys and what they did, um, You know, being the only undefeated team ever in NFL history. And of course, we lost Don Shula a couple of years ago, but it's still going to be special for the guys that are still around. Larry Zonka, you know, certainly one of them and popping champagne and celebrating that team on Sunday night football down in Miami is going to be really special. Yeah, that would definitely be a big moment for that franchise. Uh, next up here for me, Week 7, Indianapolis Colts at Tennessee Titans on CBS at noon. I put this one on here because it's already going to be the second matchup of the season between these two teams. They play in Week 4 and they play in Week 7, and these are two. Um, these are the two best teams in the AFC South. They have been for the past few years, so the, the division seemingly always comes down to these two teams. And now the Colts have Matt Ryan, and they should be even better than they were last year. At times, they were good last year. And I know they didn't make the playoffs, but they you know, could have if they wouldn't have made to, uh, had a few losses that they probably shouldn't have had. So we know that the Colts are, are they were a great team last year for the most part. They missed out in a tough AFC, but now they added Matt Ryan. They should be better. The Titans, you know, they traded AJ Brown. How good are they going to be? But just being the second matchup already between these two teams and being how big these matchups have been over the years, this one will be a notable noon game in week seven, I think. Uh, as for week eight, I have the Green Bay Packers at the Buffalo Bills on Sunday night football. This one should be really fun to watch. You know, just a good interconference matchup here. Aaron Rodgers and the Packers in Orchard Park to take on Josh Allen and the Bills should be really fascinating. The first two time, the first time that uh, Rodgers and Allen have faced off against each other, uh, and, and because I don't, I don't believe they have in the past, and so this one should be really fun to watch. And being in prime time makes it that much better. It should just be really thrilling. I know the Packers; they don't have Devontae Adams anymore. You know this is, but they're still going to be a terrific team, you would think. And so anytime that you have them facing off against a team that's as good as the Bills are in the AFC, I mean this could be a potential Super Bowl preview. You know, there's, that's 
one of these. This could be a matchup that you could look at, and you could say these two teams can make it to the Super Bowl potentially. So it's going to be a fun game to watch for sure. Yeah, Week 8 also has uh, the Ravens at the Buccaneers, I believe, on Thursday Night Football, which I almost went with because that's going to be a really uh, interesting matchup to watch. Interleague again, but I went with the interleague matchup you just mentioned with the Packers at the Bills on Sunday Night Football. Uh, Sunday night at Orchard Park, you know, we talk about, you know, Aaron Rodgers, of course, is, is a part of one of the best fan bases in the NFL with uh, the Chiefs heads and, and Green Bay and how great that environment is at Lambeau Field. Well, the environment out there in Buffalo is really great, too. Uh, and the Bills Mafia is one of the best fan bases for sure in the NFL. So it'd be fun to watch that uh, matchup between those two franchises. And again, the quarterback matchup is great. And uh, again, the Super Bowl preview, that's I feel like that's obviously something you have to look at as well. And that's why it makes early matchups intriguing because that can happen. And so uh, that's going to be a really good one, I think, uh, in week eight. As for week nine, I put the Rams at the Buccaneers, which is a late afternoon game on CBS. Of course, these teams met twice last year, once in the regular season and then once in the postseason. Uh, the Rams won both of those games. Uh, of course, they, you know, Tom Brady and the Buccaneers made a great rally in that divisional round matchup in Tampa, but the, uh, excuse me, the Rams able to, of course, stave them off and get the uh, big win uh, there with the game-winning field goal and the big throw to Cooper Cup. And of course, they went on to win the Super Bowl. So we have the last two Super Bowl champions facing off in Tampa. Going to be a really exciting matchup. Matthew Stafford against Tom Brady again and all the great players that those two franchises support that's certainly an NFC championship game preview potentially two of the best teams easily in the NFC that would be outstanding yeah, and that's the same game that I picked for Week Nine, and it's actually the only game that I picked with the Rams involved. And I, I don't, and that's not because I, not because the Rams beat my Bengals in the Super Bowl, but I just didn't have them on here very much. I had them on here just once against the Buccaneers, and I think it should be a really fun game to watch because of what happened last year in the NFC Divisional Round, and because of two games they played last year, and the fact that the Rams got the best of the Buccaneers twice last year. So it should be a lot of fun to watch Stafford and Brady duel once more in Tampa Bay, and so that's definitely going to be a fun one in the middle of the season. As for week 10, I have the Washington Commanders at the Philadelphia Eagles on Monday Night Football. And this one's notable because it's Carson Wentz making his return to Philadelphia as the quarterback for Washington. Of course, Philadelphia, the team that drafted him, the team that he helped win the Super Bowl with his contributions in regular season that year before he got hurt and wasn't able to contribute in the postseason. But certainly he was a part of that team and did great things for that franchise at times. But then obviously it didn't really work out that well down the stretch before he was eventually traded to the Colts. And then now he's obviously with the Commanders. So it'll be just interesting to see him face off against the Eagles in Philadelphia. I think it was a chance for me to get these two teams involved because I tried to get more teams involved and I didn't put any teams on here more than three times. So it was kind of a, it was kind of more difficult trying to do it like that, but I wanted to get a few more teams involved and these ones. Certainly I wanted to get involved because this should be an interesting game to watch for those reasons. It's me, right? Yeah, 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 yeah it's yeah, you, yeah, my yeah. bad. I thought you were, you were about to go again. Yeah, week 10, uh, I have the Colts at the Raiders, which is a late afternoon game on CBS. Uh, this one has good storylines based on kind of what happened last year. You know, if you remember, the Raiders went on the road and beat the Colts in Indianapolis. The Raiders end up getting into the playoffs. The Colts surprisingly lose to Jacksonville the last week of the season and find themselves on the outside looking in. Uh, this one's going to be in Las Vegas. I don't think I had the Raiders on here yet. Of course, they have a lot of uh, opportunity this year to do some great things out there uh, with Devontae Adams and everything they've got going on. As you mentioned earlier, going to be a really fun team to watch this year and so Matt Ryan versus Derek Carr great quarterback matchup again two teams that have a lot of expectations for themselves and I think it just sets up to be a really fun game I just look at it and think those two teams are going to put together a really good performance both sides and it could go down to the very end and that seems really intriguing to me maybe a little more underrated on the schedule but that one stood out to me uh, as for week 11 
Uh, this is the first time I've had a divisional matchup and I had to go out with the AFC West. You're going to see more of the AFC West down the stretch for me because I think about storylines late in the season and we know how great the AFC West is going to be this year with all four teams having a legitimate chance to win the division. So down the stretch in November, December, and even early January, those division matchups are going to be even more impactful than ever before. And so I have the Chiefs at the Chargers, a late afternoon game on CBS. Last year when the Chiefs played the Chargers in LA, it was a Thursday night game that had all kinds of points scored and Chargers going fourth on fourth down and, and not getting it. And then the Travis Kelsey walk-off touchdown which is still insane um so that and the, the chiefs they split with the chargers last year and the chiefs ended up winning the division so uh, that would just be a lot of fun the quarterback matchup again all the afc west matchups are going to have those big time quarterback matchups and so much star power it was an arms race in the off season that will be a great game yeah, and as for me, in Week 11, I have my Cincinnati Bengals at the Pittsburgh Steelers on Sunday Night Football. This is the last of our three divisional road games that are in prime time. As we also play the Ravens on Sunday Night Football on the road and the Browns on Monday Night Football on the road. Uh, I put this one on there because the Bengals play the Steelers Week 1, and if we win that game, that's going to be four straight victories for the Bengals over the Steelers, which means that coming into this game, going into Pittsburgh, the Bengals will be trying to win their fifth straight game against the Steelers after the Steelers have beaten the Bengals so many times in a row before this winning streak for my Bengals, and so I think it'll be really fun to watch. Also, of all the division opponents for the Bengals, I think I dislike the Steelers the most, and so if we can go in there on Sunday night and win that game, I would just be so fired up and that would be a great game for me to watch, and I'm definitely going to enjoy that one a lot. Uh, as for week 12, I had to get Thanksgiving involved here. And obviously, week 12 is always you know around Thanksgiving, and so I felt like there were some good games outside of the Thanksgiving uh, day slate, which isn't like I don't think it knocks your socks off the three games they have for Thanksgiving, but I wanted to still go with one because it's always the best. One of the best parts about Thanksgiving is watching football, watching NFL action. And so I have the New York Giants at the Dallas Cowboys. This is the middle game of that three day slate uh, on Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving day at 3:30 on Fox. So really, it's going to be interesting to just see where the Giants are at, at this point because we know they've you know had two draft picks in the top ten. You know, and hopefully for them, those guys are going to be making an impact. They hired Brian Dable as their new head coach, and so there's a lot. There's been some good change for the Giants in the offseason so I think it'd be interesting to see where they are at this point they certainly have to believe they can compete in this division so it'll be a good measuring stick and it would just be a fun game to watch obviously the Cowboys I hadn't put them on here yet surprisingly so I get them in here right now hosting uh, on Thanksgiving once again it should be a fun one yeah, I looked at the Thanksgiving slate and thought it was, like you said, kind of a snoozer a little bit. But that, that you know, we'll see where the Giants are at. I don't know how good they're going to be. And I'm not super optimistic with that division just in general necessarily. But uh, it has a chance to flop. But that could be a good one. Uh, and week 12 for me, I went with the Buccaneers at the Browns. I haven't I'd had, uh, excuse me, I hadn't had an early afternoon game yet up until this point. This is an early afternoon game on Fox. And I just wanted to go with it because I feel like at this point in the season, I'm pretty sure Deshaun Watson's going to be under center. We don't know how, uh, if he's going to be suspended. And if he is, how long. Week 12 will definitely be playing and so you have Tom Brady versus Sean Watson uh, interleague matchup in Cleveland that would be an interesting matchup where are the Browns at at this point in the season because they certainly have some expectations we know the Buccaneers are going to be good so a little bit more of an intriguing match that might fly under the radar a little bit as for week 13, I go back to the AFC West, the Chargers at the Raiders, uh, late afternoon game on CBS. We know what happened last year when the Chargers went to Las Vegas with the last game of the season, game 272, that had all the uh, all the joy you could have, you know, all the craziness that you could have imagined for the last game of the season with the overtime. And are they going to tie? And they don't. And the Chargers missed the playoffs. The Raiders get in. And uh, that game was just so fun to watch. So memorable. And I think it'll be memorable for a long time. And now, again, both teams really talented. So the AFC West, I got them in here quite a bit. I got them in here two more times down the stretch but that's certainly what I'm looking forward to. 
Yeah, and I also want this one for Week 13. Chargers and Raiders, they had such an amazing final game of the season last year. The final game overall of the regular season that was so uh, fun to watch on that Sunday night and so impactful, really. And so it was just a great game to watch. I think it's going to be terrific again when these two teams square off, especially because the Raiders and the Chargers both got better in the offseason. And like you said, that division is just so fascinating. So I think this will be a terrific game to watch. Really going to be exciting there in the afternoon that and during that week on CBS. Uh, as for week 14, I have the Miami Dolphins at the Los Angeles Chargers. This game at 305 on CBS. I went with this one because I'm expecting the Dolphins to be better this year. I'm expecting them to be exciting, to be a, you know better than they were last year with the uh, moves they made. And we get Tua versus Herbert, which we always we know about all the conversations that have been had over the past couple of years. You know, since those two guys got drafted, that you know the Dolphins took Tua just ahead of the Chargers taking Herbert, and people think that was a mistake. But I think Tua's, you know, I'm hoping that he's gonna be better this year. I know you think he's gonna have a, a big season because he's actually gonna have support around him, gonna have a better offensive line, gonna have better weapons, gonna be able to flourish more this season under Mike McDaniel. So hopefully at this point the season Dolphins are playing well Tua is having a great year we can have a terrific matchup between him and Herbert should be a fun game and during uh, in this one between the Dolphins and the Chargers yeah I love that pick by you I feel like you nailed it on the head that would be really definitely exciting one it's the first of two out on the west coast or maybe the second of two I can't remember exactly and that might be the second one anyway for me in week 14 I have the Chiefs at the Broncos on Sunday Night Football just based on the fact that this is why the Broncos traded for Russell Wilson they need to beat the Chiefs I think the Chiefs have won 11 or 12 straight against Denver it's just not it has not been good for the Broncos ever since Peyton Manning retired they can't beat the Chiefs and of course Kansas City runs this division and it has for a while it's up for grabs more than ever now and this is why the Broncos made the trade for Russell Wilson so they could win this game at home against Kansas City this is the first of two between these two teams they play you know so twice in the last five weeks and who knows what the division is sitting at this point but Russell Wilson uh, at home and for the Broncos obviously being their quarterback now all the talent they have and the opportunity they have ahead of them this is to be a huge game for them if they can win that game it would go a long way for that franchise and it would be really satisfying for that fan base and uh, I'll let you cover week 15 just because I want to do week 16 first that's fine yeah, that's definitely fine. I'll go ahead and go to week 15 now. I think when I looked at week 15, a lot of games jumped out at me necessarily, so I ended up going with the Arizona Cardinals at the Denver Broncos at 3.05 on Fox. Uh, it's also only the second time that I had the Broncos on here, I believe, and so I thought like I would get them involved again because they should be a terrific team this year with Russell Wilson at quarterback. They're certainly an interesting bunch. But but, but also at this time, the Cardinals, you know, I know DeAndre Hopkins going to be suspended for the first, is it what, eight games, is it, or six? Six games. Six yeah. games, so yeah. By now, he'll obviously be back for a long time. Uh, but I think, so definitely, I feel like the Cardinals, you know, obviously they made the playoffs last year, so I think they're going to be a good team again this year for the most part. Not sure if they're going to be as good as they were last year, but we'll see. And they were really good on the road last year, and we also get to see, you know, Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson face off again. Obviously, they used to be in the same division, and so it's always a good matchup when those two guys square off. They're so similar in how they do things. It's also an interesting interconference matchup, so that's why I went with the Cardinals and the Broncos. It should be an interesting one in Week 15. Yeah, I'm sure you could have gone with another game on Week 15, but yeah, I know you wanted to spread the wealth a little bit, so I went with the Bengals at the Buccaneers. Late afternoon game on CBS, of course, it's Joe Burrow versus Tom Brady for the first time, probably the last time ever uh, between those two quarterbacks. Uh, certainly a lot of excitement around that matchup, the interleague matchup itself. Again, potential Super Bowl preview and all the star talent on both sides of the ball. That will certainly be a lot of fun to watch with those two teams down there in Tampa, and uh, yeah, that pretty much sells itself. I think a lot of people are looking forward to that one for sure. Week 15, hoping everybody's healthy, and that would certainly be a really fun game to watch. As for week 16, uh, I'm going with the Packers at the Dolphins. It's an early afternoon game on Fox, which sounds pretty normal, but it's not just an early afternoon game. This is on Christmas Day, and there's a chance that we could be in attendance for this one, because I know, I mean, I know, maybe you guys don't, but I think we might have mentioned it before, you know, our older brothers, Kyle and Travis. Travis, of course, used to be the producer of our podcast, um, are both Packers fans, and they went to a Packers game last year when they hosted the Bears, had a great time up there at Lambeau Field. 
And we had talked about before the schedule was released that this is a game we want to go to if we can because uh, the Dolphins are hosting the Packers. Now we know when it's going to be, and it's going to be on Christmas, which is wild because now we're kind of in a little bit of a conundrum here. Do we uh, ditch the family to go down to South Beach and watch the Dolphins host the Packers at Hard Rock Stadium and then get a lot of opportunity afterwards, plenty of time to go party and uh, have a lot of fun down there in South Florida? So there's certainly some upside here for us to actually get a chance to go to this game, so I had to put it on there. And it's also a potential great matchup. Again, the interleague um, factor, don't play very often, and and Aaron Rodgers uh, going down this, you know, getting a chance to watch him in person will be really cool. But again, I think two is going to have a great year. I think our offense is going to be fun. I think we're going to be really good at this point in the season. And getting to play on Christmas is really crazy. So I can't imagine uh, what it's going to be like if we can actually execute this trip down to Miami, which we certainly have the ability to do it if we if we are uh, if we commit to it. So had to put that one on there for sure. That's a great Christmas Day slate just in general. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a great game. And I also put that one on there for week 16 because, again, I might be with you guys. I mean, I didn't think initially when you guys were talking about going to the game, I thought, you know, I'm not going to go. I'm not a Packers or a Dolphins fan. But then I know we were talking about it in our group message between all of us brothers, and Gary said he would be down to go. And then I'm like, oh, gosh, well, if Gary's going to go, then I have to go too, and maybe we're all going to go. So now it's kind of, as we've had more discussions about it, now we're thinking that if we do want to go to the game, then we might all go together. And so whether we go in, and so if that does happen, that'd be great. But whether we go in person to this game or not, or whether I go in person, or not. It's going to be a fun game to watch just because I know that you're a Dolphins fan. Kyle and Travis are Packers fans. It's a great interconference matchup. You know, like I said, I hope the Dolphins are playing well. I think they will. I think Tua hopefully is going to have a, is going to have a quality season for your sake because I know you're a big believer in him. And so hopefully the Dolphins are looking really good at this point. They are uh, looking competitive and I think it be a really fun game against the Packers who I expect to be good again, especially in a weak NFC for the most part. So it should be a great game to watch. And if we go in person, you know, that would be even better. And, and also because it's, it's on Christmas Day. So we have a, a three game slate on Christmas just like we do on Thanksgiving so I feel like I had to go to the Christmas games and this was certainly one that I wanted to look at because we might be going to this one in person as for week 17 I have the Buffalo Bills at my Cincinnati Bengals on Monday Night Football that should be just an amazing game to watch because I expect both of us both of these teams the Bills and the Bengals to be competing for you know one of those top seeds in the AFC you know vying for positioning because I think we're going to be great again this year I think people think last year was a fluke but I know that the guys in the building don't think that at all and they're ready to go out there and prove that this team is for real I know we have a tough schedule this year but I think the guys are ready for it, especially because the Bengals got better in the offseason with the acquisitions that we made to help out the offensive line so I think this is going to be just such a great game to watch on Monday Night Football. Last year, and this game's on January 2nd, last year on January 2nd, we defeated the Chiefs at home to win the division, and that was an amazing game. Now, this year on January 2nd, we'll see what the stakes are coming into it, but I think it's just going to be such a fun game to watch between Allen and Burrow, and just really just a fun game to watch, and obviously as a Bengals fan, I'm really stoked for this one. And this whole week's going to be intriguing because I just thought about how all the Sunday games are on New Year's Day. How is the college football going to navigate all that? And we might have a bunch of great football action. I don't even want to think about it because I like to watch everything at that time of the year, but we'll see. But I went with the Bills at the Bengals on Monday Night Football as well. Uh, for a lot of the reasons you mentioned, but it's just a great AFC matchup. It's a potential AFC championship preview. Um, when we almost got last year up in Buffalo, which I think would have been a lot of fun to watch. And uh, obviously it didn't happen that way, but with Josh Allen versus Joe Burrow and all the stars on that on display in that game. But also the fact that that's going to be the last week of fancy football, um, you know, and so fancy football championships are going to be decided. And there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that a bunch of fancy football championship games are going to have players in this game on both sides. They're going to try to win them championships. So that and hopefully I'm one of those guys, right? Hopefully I'm in a championship game and I got one of these guys because they're you probably behoove yourself to have somebody on one of these offenses. That'll be a lot of fun to watch. And then as for week 18, the final week of the regular season, no, you know, obviously times determined yet because uh, the NFL doesn't announce the schedule for week 18 until up until like, I guess 
guess after week 17 or whatever it is, they want to make sure they put the best games, the best windows, and all the playoff implications that come into it. So there's no times yet. We don't know when he's going to be played. Um, so I went to the AFC West one more time, the best division in football, and just assumed that there's probably going to be, hopefully, the division isn't clinched by week 18. I went with the Chiefs at the Raiders. Um, Kind of for the same reasons you mentioned earlier when you were talking about these two teams going to going to battle and the fact that the Chiefs beat the Raiders both times last year and uh, the Raiders kind of similar to the Broncos have to get over that uh, over the hill there and, and find a way to beat the Chiefs and without Tyreek Hill anymore and with Devontae Adams coming to the bone they're certainly you know hopefully for their sake changing of the guard it's so competitive out in the AFC West it's really a toss up and I really hope that it comes down to Week 18 that this game might be the one on Sunday night but who knows it's so hard to predict especially Week 18 the hardest one to find they're all division matchups you don't know how good the divisions are going to be or what the situations are going to be but so I just throw a dart at a dartboard and I'll, I'll go with the favorite here probably and assume the AFC West is going to be exciting and the Chiefs at the Raiders certainly would have a lot of star power and a lot of opportunity there to be a fun game to watch yeah and so I thought you did that because I went with the AFC West as well but I went with the other matchup I went with the Chargers at the Broncos again to be determined on the time because we don't know the times until after week 17 concludes but I think I took a page out of last year's playbook and I think that the AFC West is going to be the best division so I think the most intriguing divisional matchup in week 18 is going to be those with the night division because I don't think the division is going to be clinched yet or at least you hope it isn't because it should make for high drama on that final week of the season and so the Chargers and the Broncos we'll see where it's at at this point and last year the Broncos beat the Chargers at home even though the Broncos weren't as you know weren't necessarily that good last year you know they they really took care of business against the Chargers when they hosted them last year but again it'll be what Russell Wilson his final game with the Broncos this season or in the regular season that is and he'll be taking on Justin Herbert and the Chargers for the second time and it's just going to be fun to see where that division's at and I just feel like with all the games in week 18 being divisional games you have to go to what you think is going to be the best division which is why you did the Chiefs and the Raiders and I did the Chargers and the Broncos and so that rounds out uh, our favorite game from each week which is, is again it's a fun exercise it's a fun thing to do but it's also difficult because you don't want to continue to you know go to all the primetime games even though those are really great games that's why they're in primetime in the first place so you don't want to you know go to all the same teams because I for me I wanted to get some other teams involved I don't want to talk about any any particular team too much so that's why I kind of held myself to like three times or fewer because believe me I, I didn't talk about the Bengals as much as I could have I could have put the Bengals on here like seven times if I wanted to of course the Bengals fan I'm gonna be so, super excited to watch any game that I'm able to watch I know we have five primetime games this year which I'm super excited about because I don't always get to watch the Bengals obviously we watch NFL Red Zone and so I watch it whenever they show the game but I know the Bengals this year are going to be on like CBS a couple of different times I think maybe on Fox too like in those big games obviously you go to the Super Bowl you win your conference you're going to have a lot more opportunities to be on television so there's going to be more opportunities for me to watch the Bengals this year than ever before I think as a Bengals fan for like the past eight years that I've been so I'm super excited about that but there's probably like seven games I could have put on there because we played the Ravens in prime time we played the Browns in prime time I talked about those earlier but also played the Chiefs I mean I'll host the Chiefs uh, this year too at one point and obviously that was a rematch of last year's AFC championship game and also we played them in week 17 last year like I said that was the game we won the division and so that that's going to be a great game and then the Bengals and the Buccaneers as you mentioned you talked about that one and so that one's going to be fun the Bengals and the Cowboys and maybe I could have put us on here eight times honestly if I wanted to because we have a great schedule this year it's a tough schedule but there's a lot of fun games out there because they're playing other teams that are quality teams and it should be just a ton of fun you know the NFL season doesn't start for another you know almost uh, you know a little under four months but man we're already so excited for it. you can tell in the way we're talking just going back and forth through all these games it's going to be so much fun when it gets underway 
Definitely, definitely. And I know you, you said you could have put him on there 8-10. Now you pretty much just did. You named all the games you didn't. Um, but that's fair enough. Uh, I put all the Dolphins games that were in prime time or big slots. There's a Bills game in week 15, I believe, that is uh, to be determined. It's one of those flex games. I certainly hope, certainly believe that you know, we're going to be really good this year. And, of course, the Bills are going to be really good. So there's more opportunity than ever before. You know, I've, the NFL has put us in those flex windows before in the past against the Jets. I'm like, the Jets aren't going to be good. If anyone, we're going to be we're going to be good or at least competitive. And they're not going to be a good team. So there's no way we're going to get flexed in. But because they put us against the Bills, and, man, we really need to beat the Bills at least once this year because we can't seem to get over uh, that hump, you know, no, no pun intended with the Buffalo and all that. But, but yeah, they've really handled us over the last couple of years. So we don't have to be beating Josh Allen. So uh, you know, we got to find a way to win one of those games this year. That won't be on the road, but there's a great chance that game gets flexed into prime time. So there's certainly some opportunities for me to watch this year. I'm looking forward to it for sure. Uh, you know, definitely. So uh, we really talked about that, I think, longer than we expected to, which is unfortunate because we're we're going to have to probably try to speed through the rest of this a little bit more. But, you know, that is what it is. It was uh, fun talking about all those games and definitely looking forward to that down the road. So. And I want to mention one more game. The Bengals play the Saints this year, too, which is notable because Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase will be playing in Louisiana for the first time since they won the national championship with LSU. So I could have put that one on there, too. I could have put like half the games in there if I wanted to, but I didn't because I wanted to spread the wealth, get some other teams involved because... You know, as a Bengals fan, obviously I enjoy watching my guys play. But I just we're we're both huge NFL fans. We love watching all these games. I know we usually watch most of the games. I know you do at least. And so there's so many great games out there, and it should be just so much fun. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you, I mean, you definitely could have gone with that one. There were, there were some games that I left out for sure. Um, but and I I didn't try to spread the wealth as much as you did probably. But um, and I I think I had like 13 teams and kind of leaned on some of the more the quarterback matchups. And uh, there's certainly some other ways I could have gone. And there's again there's there's definitely multiple games within a week that I'm looking forward to and probably some teams that will surprise that there'll be better matches than you expected later in the season and so who knows what the storylines present this is such a tough exercise early on we just wanted to have some fun with them definitely it's like uh, you know kind of a thing you want to celebrate look at the schedule it gives us a chance to look at every single game because I don't when the schedule initially comes out there's you're, you're like kind of looking at your team schedule and there's just a, you watch the NFL network and they show some big time games as well and get different guests and stuff but I didn't look at everyone's schedules but if I could look through the entire schedule all 272 games I can kind of see what we're looking at so there's certainly some uh, a lot of fun going to be had in the fall yeah and I had like 19 teams that I mentioned in some capacity on here and like you said I was as I was going through the schedule there's a lot of games that I couldn't mention but there are just a ton of great games almost every single week so it should be a lot of fun like you said there are some games later in the season where there just might be teams that are better than you expected and games that end up being a lot better than you thought they would be so it's just the NFL is in a great place right now the schedule has come out and it is really exciting yeah, and the, and the Monday Night Football game that I put on there, Week 17 was the only Monday Night game that I put on there. But again, like you mentioned, the new broadcast team with uh, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman jumping ship from Fox to ESPN, and now Kevin Burkhart's going to be the lead voice of Fox. And then again, Al Michaels not doing Sunday Night Football anymore. Going to be with Kirk Herbstreit, as you mentioned on Amazon Prime Video, which should be interesting on Thursday nights. Uh, Kirk Herbstreit now getting a chance to call NFL games after doing such a great job with college. And I don't know if he's still doing college or not. I feel like that'd be a tough schedule for him, but who knows? Um, and then uh, you know, Mike Tirico now the voice of Sunday Night Football. And so the only thing that really stayed the same was CBS. But so for us, they're big broadcast fans. You know, we certainly know the turnover there. And uh, of course, all the other, you know, smaller broadcast crews, which we all were big fans of as well. That stayed the same, but certainly some turmoil in terms of the big time broadcast crews and, and kind of the new voices that will kind of lead the way. But certainly going to be a lot of fun when the fall comes around. Already looking forward to it to some extent, certainly with all these great matches that we have to look forward to. So. 
We'll move on now to Major League Baseball, share some news and notes from the last week or so, and we'll try to make this somewhat quick. Uh, but we did have a no-hitter last Tuesday, so we recorded the episode, and then later that night we had a no-hitter, so we couldn't get a chance to talk about it until now. But Reed Detmers uh, threw a no-hitter for the Los Angeles Angels against the Tampa Bay Rays. One of the more strange no-hitters I think you'll ever see. Um, you know, he's a rookie, only his 11th career start, 22 years old, uh, the 25th rookie to achieve defeat, and uh, it's the 12th no-hitter in Angels history. And uh, he only had two strikeouts in the game, so just I'm pitching contact getting it hit right where he needed it to be all night long the pitch count was good so he had the permission slip to go all the way uh got it done for the angels if they have, they've had a great season so far it's kind of interesting the mets and the angels two teams that usually disappoint have got off to great starts and they both are the first two teams that have no hitters so they're having great seasons they've had some special moments already early on and uh chad wallach also actually was the catcher for this no hitter uh for reed detmers and he's you know according to sarah langs uh, at slings on sports on twitter you know there's only four catchers i think that have ever had a no hitter and homer in the same game so he caught a no-hitter. He also hit a home run in this game. They won the game easily like 12-0. He joins David Ross, Alex Avila, and Jason Veritek as the only catchers to do that. So it's pretty remarkable. And he used to be with the Marlins, Chad Walk. Uh, he only been with the Angels for a little bit, and he was behind the plate and did a great job calling the game. Yeah, definitely an amazing moment there for Reed Detmers and the Angels as a whole. Like you said, you look for these kind of big moments for teams, you know, to kind of look back on. Obviously, if you throw a no-hitter, it doesn't mean you're going to have a great season and you're going to make the playoffs or anything like that. We saw a number of no-hitters last year for teams that didn't make the playoffs, but for teams that are playing well, like the Angels and the the Mets before them, you know, you get a no-hitter like this and it's kind of just like a signature moment in a season. And it's just one of those special things that happens and kind of makes the team, you know, kind of helps the team go even stronger together. It's just a big moment they can celebrate together. And like you said, Detmers, not somebody that you would expect to throw a no-hitter. Obviously, only his 11th start in his career, and so it's really amazing he was able to do that, but it was a great game for him, a great, a well-pitched game. You know, on the other side of it, the Angels' offense went crazy that night, too, so he definitely had plenty of run support and had the opportunity to go out there and see if he could make it happen, and he did, which was cool for him, and like I said, Chad Wallet caught the game. Honestly, I didn't know he even played for the Angels, and that might have been like one of the first games he actually had caught, you know, for them, but he did a great job behind the plate, and it was overall a special evening uh, for the Angels. Yeah, definitely. Doing it at home, too. More special. Certainly the crowd was really into it, and uh, he was lost for words afterwards. So uh, next here on the other note on Tuesday, Josh Hader uh, recorded his 500th strikeout, the second fastest to do it. I think it was just under 300 innings, I believe. I think Aroldis Chapman was the only uh, player to ever record 500 strikeouts faster. I probably should have taken a picture of the uh, the TV when we were watching Quick Pitch, but certainly wanted to note that. I remember when he first came into the league was uh, at least one of the first times I remember Josh Hader was when he came in against your Reds and struck out like nine in a row, wherever it was, and was like, man, who is this guy? You know, tough you know the way he comes at you from the left side with all that heat and the way that he you know does it kind of hides the ball really well and he's obviously had a bunch of success one of the best closures in baseball for the brewers so congrats to him reaching that milestone uh, as for wednesday of last week another brewer made some history christian yelich uh, recorded his third career cycle uh, it was a losing effort a 14 11 loss to your reds uh, which was a crazy game on youtube tv of all places there um, and uh, so it was the third career cycle for christian yelich it becomes only the uh, sixth player um, i believe to yeah, have hit for three cycles in his career along with Bob Musel, Babe Herman, Adrian Beltray, Trey Turner, and now Christian Yelich. Actually, the only fifth player, but then apparently Long John Riley, one of the original Cincinnati Reds, apparently also hit for the cycle three times back in the 1800s. So that's something you never thought you'd hear on this podcast, but there you go. But he's also done it all three times against the Reds. So I believe that makes him the uh, first player to uh, have three cycles against one team. 
Yeah, it's amazing he's done it against the Reds, and I think has he done it all three times with the Brewers? I think, or did he have any? I don't think he had. I think any, it was all with the Brewers. I think. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he had any cycles when he was with your Marlins before he got traded to the Brewers. But he's been terrific for them. Obviously, won the MVP a, a few years back for the Brewers when they had that great season and, and weren't able to get to the World Series. But I think they came up just short in the uh, NLCS that year. Um, but yeah, he was terrific. Uh, he's been terrific so far with the Brewers. He you know struggled last year, but and he struggled I think in 2020 a little bit too. Ever since MVP season, he's kind of had some ebbs and flows but he's been off to a good start this year obviously for the cycle was an amazing feat it doesn't happen all that often and to do it three times his career is amazing and do it three times against my reds is even more amazing and it's also kind of peculiar that he somehow has done it against us each and every time so i don't know we'll have to keep our eyes put every single time that the brewers play the reds and every time yelich plays the reds going forward because if he does it you know because if he's gonna hit for the cycle and be the first player to ever do it four times it's probably going to come against the reds yeah, definitely. And uh, the other note on Thursday, uh, the Marlins had some late two-out lighting in the desert. I wanted to mention this because there was some franchise history, mainly because uh, you know, the Marlins scored eight runs against the Diamondbacks and with two outs in the ninth inning and what ended up being an 11-3 win on a Wednesday matinee in Arizona, which you know saved us from getting swept by the D-backs this year for the season series. It was a great win for us. We needed it you know, in a really bad way. Uh, we are the first team since 2016 to score eight runs with two outs in the ninth inning. The Pirates did that against the Phillies um, on September 15, 2016. So, Pretty cool stuff there. Um, definitely, we needed that one. Jazz Chisholm had a three-run homer, and Ivy Sal Garcia also had a three-run homer there in that ninth inning. So that was awesome. Really great to see uh, for my Marlins to get that win. We didn't have anything on Thursday, May 12th. I looked through the schedule again today to make sure I didn't miss anything. I really don't think there was anything too notable to mention from Thursday, May 12th. So moved to Friday, May 13th. Initially didn't have anything here either, but Dusty Baker did move to 10th on the all-time wins list for a manager. Of course, we talked about Dusty Baker not that long ago, reaching his 2000th career win. Um, and, you know, that was the 11th straight win for the Astros. Been playing really good baseball for a while now. Uh, that was our 11th consecutive win. Well, it was number 2009 for Dusty Baker, which passed Leo uh, Durasher for, he was number 11 with 2008 and it uh, looks like from the leaderboard Dusty Baker is going to have a chance to pass Walter Austin who is at 2040 as number nine but after that Joe McCarthy is number eight with like 2125 so not going to get there this year uh, but has a chance to move up to number eight or number nine rather before it's all said and done so 11 straight wins for the Astros we then lost the next game uh, just so close to a franchise record which it would have been 13 would have been a new franchise record consecutive wins but it's been a lot of fun and H-Town been playing really good ever since he got that 2000 which just kept on winning so I wanted to mention that as for Saturday, May 14th, Shohei Otani's 100th career home run. Uh, that was uh, hit in Oakland against the A's. So uh, great for Shohei Otani. He's obviously had some pretty good success this season, at least with the long ball. Maybe not as great with average, but still hitting it really hard. And and uh, his 100th career homer came, like I said, against the A's. And he became only the third Japanese player to reach 100 career homers in Major League Baseball, joining Hideki Matsui with 175. And, of course, Ichiro Suzuki at 117. So, um, you know, it, 444 career games to reach the mark is the fastest for a Japanese player. Of course, he's kind of come on the scene ever since he got to the major leagues. Injuries slowed him up right with the last year winning MVP and doing what he did. Now he's been able to stay healthy so far this season. He also joined Babe Ruth, of course. Uh, for this stat, is uh, only the second player in major league history to have 100 homers as a hitter and 250 strikeouts as a pitcher. And I say, of course, because, you know, Babe Ruth, the only kind of two-way player we've ever seen in this game. And uh, it's been like 100 years since anybody's ever done something like this. So just every single day, I don't think I don't think we're really appreciating it probably as much as we, as we should. Hopefully we are. But uh, definitely in hindsight, when it's all said, I'm really going to appreciate what Shohei Otani's done and what he's doing right now. 
Yeah, and Joe Madden's talked about that before as well, about how just a special Shohei Otani is and what he's been doing between last year and this year, really excelling as a pitcher and a hitter. And certainly I think whenever, you know, time goes on, we're going to certainly appreciate this more and more. Uh, but yeah, like you said, his 100th career home run. Uh, he's obviously been in the league for a number of years now, but, you know, really came on strong as a pitcher last year, more so because I think he had Tommy John surgery early on whenever he got here. Uh, but then he's been able to hit most of the time he's been here. And he's been really good at that. And especially last year when he had, you know, over 40 home runs and obviously won the AL MVP award. But like you say, he's really clicked over the past couple of seasons, and I know he's been heating up more uh, as of late at the plate, and it's some really great things. And so that 100th career home run is a special milestone for him. And like you said, only the third Japanese player to do that. And then like you mentioned, those other two guys, you know, 175 and 117 respectively. I think I imagine that Shohei should have a good opportunity to pass those guys up and become the all-time home run leader among Japanese players because I think he's going to be able to play in this league for a long time and should get to at least 200, and then we'll see how much further he can get past that. That's, de that's definitely a good point. Certainly within reach, as long as he continues to stay healthy and uh, continues to play as well as he has, and there's no reason why he shouldn't be able to. No signs of slowing down, for sure, for Shohei Otani. Uh, Sunday, May 15th, uh, we had a couple of different notes to mention here. Uh, the Reds were no-hit by the Pirates, but they lost, or excuse me, the Reds no-hit the Pirates, but they lost the game. I'll let you talk about that more first, and I can like finish up with any notes, because this is more about you probably than me. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of a, a funny, I don't know, I would say funny. People, I think, were blowing it out of proportion a little bit, saying, like, I mean, it's kind of like, only the Reds could, you know, no hit the, a team and still lose. And I guess it's kind of the way you can say it because the Reds obviously haven't had a very good season, have been the worst team in MLB this year, but honestly not by that much. They've been a little bit better as of late and have won a couple of series recently. So we've been better than we were at the beginning of the season. But it is kind of feel that way a little bit. You know, the Reds are having that kind of season where it just feels like even when we do things really well, like, you know, don't give any hits in the game, we still find a way to lose. But, you know, instead of focusing on that, I'm, I'm just really excited about how well Hunter Green pitched that day. You know, he had a little bit of a moment this year where his velocity wasn't very good. Or, you know, he came out on fire. We talked about him a handful of episodes ago about how he set the record for most 100 plus mile per hour pitches in the game against the Dodgers. Then after that, he had a few starts where his velocity was a little bit down. I was a little bit concerned about that. But over the past couple of starts, it's come back. We saw that against the Pirates on Sunday. He was electric, had everything working for him. That fastball at 100, that slider at 90 was really just dealing against the Pirates. And obviously, you know, he went seven and a third innings of no hit baseball against them before he was relieved after a couple of walks. And then ultimately, we ended up giving up a run without giving up a hit. And then, you know, they end up winning the game one to nothing and so it's not a no hitter because we didn't pitch a full nine innings it was only eight innings but obviously didn't give up any hits throughout the course of the game so it was disappointing and it's something that people kind of laugh at the Reds and say yeah of course you know of course they would find a way to lose even though they didn't allow any hits but at the same time I'm if we're going to lose I might as well do it in a pretty cool way it's only the sixth time in MLB history that a team has given up no hits and still lost the game so if we're going to lose I might as well do it in kind of a unique and peculiar way that kind of stands out and you know at the same time I'm, I'm really excited about what I saw from Hunter Green that day and overall it was a still a great performance by him and that's what I'm focused on more than anything so uh, that's all I have to say about it yeah it's kind of funny to look at but uh, at the same time I'm really excited about what I saw from under green and that's kind of the positive thing that I'm taking away from that game yeah certainly the the free pass is not what you want to see that's why they ended up scoring a run with the walks and the fielder's choice RBI with key Brian Hayes and then winning the game one nothing without even getting a hit and I, I like how you've taken a more lighthearted approach to it I think it's really unique as well and it's much such a red thing to do but nothing wrong with that necessarily I mean it's just it's kind of a it's baseball. They, uh, I know the Pirates broadcasters and like you know that's the cliche. You never know what you're going to see when you go to the ball game, and it's it's a cliche, but it's so true. We saw it again with that happening again, like you said, only the sixth time ever, and the first time since 2008 uh, when the Angels no hit the Dodgers, I think, and still lost the game. So uh, you know, with 14 years since this has happened, and that was certainly uh, interesting to watch. So. 
Uh, as for later that night, uh, Sunday, uh, excuse me, Sunday night baseball was between the Giants and the Cardinals. It looked like it was going to be a good pitching matchup between Carlos Rodon and Adam Wainwright. I mean, that's two of the better pitchers in baseball so far this season. So that would be a good defense, a good low scoring game, good pitchers duel, but not that did not happen at all. Um, the Cardinals, you know, really just destroyed the Giants, and the final score was 15 to six. Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina made history in this game, uh, becoming the winningest battery of all time with their 203rd win together. So congratulations to those guys. Of course, been doing it for a long time and always saying. Lewis and have been so terrific for so long uh, and they're getting close to actually the most games together as well so that's really cool for those guys uh, and then Albert Pujols actually made his pitching debut in this game yeah I couldn't believe it when I saw it either um, because we were watching I think some you know the NBA playoffs which of course wasn't very good that night with the Mavericks destroying the Suns mission earlier we actually watched a little bit of playoff hockey because because that game was such a blowout as two the baseball game wasn't a very good one and there was some overtime games in the NHL so but we came back and we're like oh Albert Pujols is on the mound what the heck's going on here and of course they were up but they were up big and I've always thought like we see position players pitching when teams are down by like 10 runs. I always felt like the team that's up by 10 runs could do if they, could do that if they wanted to as well. If they ever starts getting out of hand, just get somebody warmed up. I know it's it's risky, but you know they did it in this game and it worked out fine for them. Uh, but Albert Pujols making his pitching debut did give up a home run to Luis Gonzalez, who had a three-run homer. And oddly enough, Luis Gonzalez was actually a position player pitching for the Giants late in the game, so he was actually the pitcher in the lineup, and he had a home run off of Albert Pujols. So he joined Shohei Otani as the only pitchers to hit home runs this year. So just a really weird quirky uh excuse me not quirky quirky way to end that game he also gave up a home run to joey bart but uh did you know pitch the entire ninth inning got three outs and so now he can add that to his hall of fame resume uh pretty remarkable stuff yeah, that was definitely kind of a funny moment. I agree with you. I always felt like sometimes teams that are winning by a lot could also do could also roll a position player out there because you know they're not gonna they're bound to get three outs before they give up too many runs, and then you don't have to worry about getting anybody up in the bullpen and wasting another arm for a game you should be able to win anyways. But yeah, it was definitely interesting to see Pools pitching in that game down the stretch. It was a funny moment for him and for everybody in St. Louis. And then one more note about the Wainwright and Molina. You know, like you said, they've been terrific for so long. Obviously, as a Reds fan, I don't really like the Cardinals. I talked about that before, but I respect them and I certainly respect Wayne Wright and Molina who's done it so well for so long you certainly appreciate what they've been able to do for the game of baseball and being the uh, most winningest battery in MLB history is quite the accomplishment so even though I don't like the Cardinals I respect them I respect Wayne Wright and Molina who've done done it right and, and done it well for so long and certainly that's a huge accomplishment for them so that was a, a cool milestone and a cool record they set there on Sunday evening. Definitely. And that catches up to yesterday now, Monday, as we start a new week. Of course, the players of the week. So last week it was uh, Angels. Excuse me, the uh, you know, Reed Detmers, of course, with the Angels became the AL player of the week thanks to his no-hitter. Um, it kind of goes without saying, if you throw a no-hitter, you're probably going to get player of the week. So uh, obviously hats off to him. And then Bryce Harper for the Phillies was the NL player of the week. He was absolutely outstanding. Of course, he, we actually found out that he's like slight tear in his UCL, so he won't be able to play the outfield for quite some time. Um, but he can DH now, so good good thing the MLB put that in there now for the National League, the University. DH. Now he gets a DH every single day, and he was just on fire. Um, three home runs, eight RBIs, an OPS just north of 1,900. Um, he was the NL Player of the Week as they went and took three of four against the Dodgers, and uh, and that was a huge series. They almost swept them, actually, turned into a walk-off for the Dodgers to avoid the sweep, and he was great in that game, uh, in that series. Um, it was really great all week long for Philadelphia. And then uh, a couple more notes here. Wilson Contreras 
made some unique, uh, had a unique first inning yesterday, something you don't often see. Uh, he's batting leadoff, so he doubled to start the game. It was a long first inning for the Pirates, pitching-wise. The Cubs kept uh, bringing more and more to the plate, ended up batting around, and Wilson Contreras ended up hitting a grand slam in the first inning as a leadoff hitter, which is only the 10th time that's ever happened. It's the first time it's happened since George Springer did it for my Astros in 2016. Um, so, obviously, that's uh, something we haven't seen very often in Major League Baseball. Again, go back to the cliche again. You know, you never know what you're going to see when you go to the ball game, and that's something we've only seen 10 times out of all the major league games in the history of this great game. One of the 10 times it's ever happened. It was also his 100th career home run for what it's worth. Yeah, definitely an amazing uh, performance there in that first inning for Contreras. So I have on my fantasy team. So, you know, at the time, I was just really excited about his performance in the first inning at 12 fantasy points right off the start, really. And I was really excited about that. But then it was like later in the evening last night when I started to realize that, you know, it was something, a really amazing accomplishment that he was able to do that. You know, his leadoff hitter hit a grand slam, only the 10th leadoff hitter to do that, as you mentioned. But also only the third player since, the only the third leadoff hitter since 1961 to have an extra, to have a grand slam in the first inning and also another extra base hit in the first inning. So he doubled to start the inning, and then he came back around and hit a grand slam, and then it was his 100th career home run, which is a cool accomplishment for him. So that was just an overall really uh, amazing feat yesterday and something that you know we don't see very often. So like you said, it is a cliche that people always say all the time, you never know what you're going to see when you go to the ballpark. But it is true because it happens all the time. You know, and we're talking, all of our news and notes, we bring up kind of crazy stuff that happens that you don't see very often. That was one of those things that happened yesterday and was something that we thought was notable. Yeah, 65 years before we were born, Pete Fox did it. And that was only the second time it had ever happened. And, you know, uh, going back, you know, the Wilson Contreras, you know, just yesterday and then George Springer back in 2016, that's the only time it's happened in the 21st century. Uh, you know, before that, it was 1986 and everything else was 1986 and earlier. So it's only the second time we've seen it in the last, you know, 36 years. So that's just really remarkable stuff and uh, really cool for Wilson Contreras. And it's a really cool nugget to bring to the table from yesterday. And the last thing I want to mention, I thought I had a picture of it. I swear I took a picture of it last night on quick pitch but i don't know where that's at right now but the uh, yankees sluggers uh, anthony rizzo john carlos ten and aaron judge all have already reached a double digit home runs here in 2022 and uh, within the first 35 games they did that pretty exclusive club and there's only 10 other i think they join either one of nine or one of 10 you know trios who have uh, reached double digit homers in their team's first 35 games um you know to start the mlb season so pretty cool stuff there a lot of those teams are successful i think they went on to have I can't exactly, I mean, again, I thought I took a picture of the, of the TV, but apparently it's not there. But uh, that's, you know, the Yankees are off to a heck of a start. Uh, one of the best starts in franchise history for sure. Right out of the gate, just winning every night seemingly. And uh, those three guys have been a big part of that. And so that rounds out our MLB news and notes. We'll go ahead and move on to uh, PGA Tour talk. And uh, I'm going to have to get my laptop open for this one because I had some few things I'm going to have to mention. I kind of forgot to open my laptop until now. So here we go. Uh, I'll let you guys start if you want to. Uh, actually, here we go. We're already right into it. Got to type my password in. And uh, we'll kind of get this thing on the show on the road. We have to do a brief recap uh, of the AT&T Byron Nelson from last week before we move on to the PGA Championship talk. So uh, that was a uh, really quite remarkable tournament we had there uh, in McKinney, Texas over the weekend with so many low numbers. I think the entire top 10 of the leaderboard finished 20 and under, even better. It was ridiculous the low numbers we were seeing over the weekend. A lot of birdies, a lot of eagles, and it was K.H. Lee who for the second consecutive season uh, won the AT&T Byron Nelson. So um, he joined a pretty exclusive group to have won it back-to-back -back seasons uh, along with Sam Snead, Jack Nicholas, and Tom Watson. Uh, the only golfers have won the Byron Nelson, uh, the AT&T Byron Nelson back-to-back -back seasons. He was uh, he 
won it at 26 under par and beat the uh, you know the favorite in terms of the, the fan favorite Jordan Spieth who finished 25 under and finished as a close second certainly Jordan Spieth from the area a lot of the fans were rooting for him but it was KH Lee who got it done again for the second straight season up there uh, north of Dallas yeah, like you said, it was a really crazy tournament and that all the scores, you know, there were such low scores throughout the course of the weekend. It was really hot in McKinney, Texas, but it certainly didn't affect the players. You know, they were hot too. You know, they were playing so well the whole time and the numbers were so low. And, you know, Sebastian Munoz was playing really well too on Saturday. I think he was the clubhouse leader going into the final day. I wasn't able to finish it off, but certainly he was playing really well. And like you said, Jordan Spieth was doing good things. And KH Lee was, I think he was playing pretty solid golf for the first three rounds, but he really played well on that final day to jump into the lead and end up, you know, End up winning that, uh, end up winning the tournament for the second straight year. So it was a really fun tournament to watch down the stretch. I think you and I both watched more of it, you know, than we more of that tournament than we have been able to in recent weeks. So that was fun to watch a little bit there on Saturday and Sunday, and certainly a, a huge accomplishment for Lee being able to win the tournament for consecutive, you know, back to back years. So that was the AT&T Byron Nelson, and now we turn our sights to the second major of the season, the PGA Championship, happening this weekend at Southern Hills Country Club in Tulsa, Oklahoma, from Thursday through Sunday and it should be so much fun to watch as we know last year Phil Mickelson won the PGA Championship that was when it was in South Carolina I don't remember exactly what the course was uh, but I remember that he won that last year we all know how amazing that was whenever he was able to win that tournament last year and so it shapes up to be a fun one here again this year. Yeah, definitely. I was going to go back to the AT&T Byron Nelson actually real fast. I didn't know you were going to move on so quickly, but you mentioned Sebastian Munoz and how great of a weekend he had. Well, he actually shot a 60 on Thursday, um, which, you know, 12 under par. He actually had a bogey, too, and he still shot 60 on Thursday. Uh, he was the first player in PGA Tour history to have multiple rounds of 60 or lower in the same season. Uh, earlier this year at the RSM uh, Classic, I believe is what it was, uh, he also shot a 60. So that's pretty remarkable stuff. And then he also was like 10, he was an average of 10 strokes better than, the, like, he, he was uh, 10.21 strokes strokes gained on the, uh, on the field on Thursday with that 60 um, according to Rick Gaiman uh, at Rick at Rick run good on Twitter he's part of CBS Sports the, the guys that do a good job with the first cut golf uh, podcast and uh, yeah he was one of the best one of the best rounds of golf we've seen um, over the last handful of years overall but unfortunately for him he wasn't able to seal the deal down the stretch he still finished uh, pretty darn good for for his you know for what he did all weekend long he finished uh, you know a tie for a third at 24 under par and usually that would be enough to win a tournament but again in the top 12 um, at the uh, Byron, AT&T Byron Nelson were 20 or under. So really great golf uh, over the weekend. That, and that brings us into, you know, the PGA Championship here, which can be similar to some degree in terms of it's going to be hot. It's going to be windy. Uh, this is the first, uh, which it wasn't really windy last week, but it's going to be windy, I think, this week is what they're kind of saying. And this is the first time that the uh, PGA Championship is going to be back at Southern Hills Country Club since Tiger Woods won in 2007. So it's been 15 years uh, since this golf course has hosted a major championship. Last year, as you mentioned, Phil Mickelson winning. It was the ocean course at Kiowa Island where he, when he you know, did the improbable and won at 50 years old and became the oldest to win a major, right, and all those great things. And unfortunately for him, he will not be uh, in attendance to defend the Wanamaker Trophy and, uh, and you know, you know bask in the the glory of being the reigning champion here of course he's in all, all the hot water with some of the comments he made a number of months ago about the pga tour and kind of in relation to the liv league with the saudi arabian batch golf league and all that's going on with that it's kind of a complicated situation i looked into it a little bit more today and not gonna get into all that but certainly uh he drew some backlash and now has been kind of uh, in exile to some degree and been pretty quiet and hasn't played in a while and not going to be playing this week which is unfortunate for him but tiger Woods going to be there uh, which is cool of course he was at the masters and struggled on the weekend but did make the cut and he's going to be out there and has a chance to compete and play again which is cool uh, there's a lot of great you know storylines coming to this one 
when you look at the fact that Jordan Spieth has a chance to, you know, complete the Grand Slam, become only the sixth or seventh, I, mean, I think it's sixth player to do that in his career and hasn't won a major in a little while. Um, so, you know, that's one of those storylines, certainly. Um, I guess we can just go and make our, our picks for our winners here. And I'm going to go with Rory McIlroy because he's been playing really well lately. Had to go with a TaylorMade guy, right? Had to go with Team TaylorMade, but he's 14-1, to 1, which on the odds leaderboard at least puts him in a tie with uh, Justin Thomas uh, for the second best odds to win this week. And he's been playing really good coming into this. He's been playing really good in 2022 uh you know finished you know runner up at the masters to scotty scheffler who is tied with john rom as the favorite here this weekend but he also had a top five finish at the wells fargo uh championship event that they had a number of weeks ago and so he's playing good coming into this i think there's some opportunity for him to win it certainly there's a reason why he's one of the favorites in this tournament and he hasn't won a major championship since i think 2014 and but he's played really well lately and uh, there's certainly some upside there and i like watching rory and i'm looking forward to watching him this week and hope that he can pull it off yeah, definitely. It should be a lot of fun to watch. And we know there's going to be a lot of, you know, a bunch of big time players in the tournament. I mean, I expect everybody to be there. And so it's going to be really competitive. And it could go a number of ways, certainly when you're looking at who you think could potentially win the PGA Championship. And I went with uh, Scotty Scheffler. He is uh, the, uh, you know, co-leader, I think, as far as odds are concerned. I think him and another player. I John, John, John Rahm. I just mentioned that. I don't know if you were listening okay. or not. Yeah, I didn't know. I, somehow they just zone out. I you totally zoned out because I just mentioned it. Yeah. Yeah, you do the same thing. So Scotty Scheffler, you know, tie with John Rahm for the best odds to win win the PGA championship and so an 11 to 1 odds and I went with him just because I feel like he's been playing you know arguably better than anybody he's won four of his last seven starts we know he won the Masters and was pretty dominant in doing so he's been just so terrific and locked in over the past you know few months that I feel like I, I wanted to pick him and I know that I've usually you know kind of refrained from picking the favorite because it's kind of a boring pick but at the same time I kind of want to see if I can get it right and I at least want to see if I can get the player uh, the player that I pick will at least hopefully finish in the top 10 I'm pretty confident that Scotty Shelford is going to be up there in the top 10 top five if not winning uh, his second major of the season and you know about you know the second consecutive major after winning at the masters so should be a lot of fun to see what happens uh, i'm ultimately going to go with scotty scheffler and then you know i wrote my uh, nfl schedule release and my and then on this uh, new sheet of paper and so then at the bottom i put the pga championship stuff and then i had, like one more line before my next piece of paper so i decided to kind of like a dark horse pick too uh for the pga championship which was kind of like an it's kind of a dark horse pick but also more of a kind of like a long shot you know somebody who doesn't have very good odds maybe, maybe could hang around and make some noise and i went with louis Oosthuizen at 60 to 1 odds just because i know how well he played last year and in, in, in a number of majors i don't know if he did that well at the masters but i know last season he played really well in a number of uh, major major tournaments and was in contention and i think he was uh, i know he was in contention last year i believe it was in the pga championship i want to say him and Kepka and then Phil Mickelson of course who won it were all kind of battling down the stretch so I think Ustason has played well in the past you know handful of majors and I think maybe he's a guy who can hang around and be competitive here at Southern Hills Country Club over the weekend. Yeah, certainly uh, that's a guy who, you know, I don't know if we've heard a lot about him since he had that little stretch there where he was playing really good golf, but we'll see what he brings to the table. And uh, since you wanted to do dark horse picks, I went with Tony Finau at 50-1. to 1. No relation, obviously, in terms of Taylor Mady. I think he's a paying guy, but uh, I, I like watching Tony Finau play golf. I feel like he's most of the time he's pretty pretty competitive and can hang around and certainly can, he can really put the – he can really – hit the golf ball all over the place. If you can be accurate with it, that'll be great. There's a really long course. I think I've heard that they made some changes. There's like three par fives that all play, or I think there's three par fives that play 630 yards or more, which is just ridiculous as an amateur to be thinking about that. I can't imagine staying in the tee box with 630 yards to get down there. I feel like it would take me, uh, I mean, a little while just because my iron plays him very good, but certainly he's a guy who can swing it around, and uh, if he can just, you know, kind of keep it under control, there's certainly some opportunity there, I think. Uh, not a guy who's probably competed that much in majors, but flying on the radar, and we'll see what happens. I, I think he's a good golfer 
offer and can make it maybe make some noise but we'll see i mean you want dark horse so it's a sleeper pick kind of so 50 to 1 not expecting him to win but we'll see what happens uh, this week and, and see what he can do. I mean, it's kind of intriguing. You add that wrinkle to it and something else to look forward to as well. But I'll be your obvious room for all the team Taylor May guys. Do so you pick Scotty, which is cool. And I mean, Taylor May is going to be well represented here this week with Kyle Morikawa and Dustin Johnson. Also, you know, pretty good favorites in this uh, in this tournament. So looking forward to that this weekend. And, and again, go back to Phil Mugglesome real fast. Unfortunately, he won't be there. You know, he's healthy, just not really in a position to compete right now in a major and all everything that's going on with that situation. But, uh, you know, Justin Ray on Twitter, at Justin and Ray Golf was talking about how uh, this is like Ben Hogan won the Open Championship in 1953. Um, so that was like probably the last time where like a defending champion at a major uh, healthy was probably not able to just didn't compete the next year and try to defend that. So it's been a long time since we've seen that. Uh, the PGA Championship, I think it's only the fourth time the defending champion is not going to be there to compete and try to defend their title. I think it was Tiger Woods in 2008. He had a knee injury, wasn't able to do that in 2007, you know, defend what he had done in 2007. So yeah, it'll be unfortunate that's not to see him there, but it is what it is. And there'll probably be some talk about that. It's inevitable with all that's going on there, but certainly want to overshadow all the great talents going to be on display uh, there in Tulsa this week. And the PGA Championship has been really competitive and really fun to watch the last few years, you know, kind of reading about it coming into today and everything and coming into this weekend is the PGA Championship is typically looked at as like the worst of the four majors, but it's been really fun to watch and there's been some really good golf tournaments over the last decade or so. So uh, this will be a fun one to look forward to and watch and see how it all shakes out there um, at uh, at the um, Southern Hills Country Club there in Tulsa. So, so looking forward to that one this weekend, of course, on ESPN and CBS, second major of the year. Uh, plenty of storylines coming into that one, and we'll see how it goes. All right, I'll move on now. I'll try to make this uh, somewhat brief. Uh, I mean, I went I went to the golf club at Texas A&M last Thursday, so my last day as a student at A&M, I thought, here we go, I get a discount. But I booked it on golf now, so apparently I couldn't get that discount. So I ended up paying you know nearly sixty dollars to go play there uh, at the golf club at Texas A&M, which was fun. One of the nicest courses I've been at for sure. Um, definitely the nicest course I've ever played at. Both the views because it's on A&M's campus, and there's just it was kind of like I'm about I'm done there now, so it's kind of it was kind of special to kind of look around and see all some of the kind field out in the distance and all those great great memories of being there and being a student there and getting a chance to play there was really cool i didn't play too bad honestly i uh, play with they, they pair you up uh no matter what like i booked a tea time for you know two 20 because I'm class of 2022 so I thought that'd be kind of cool you know a good little number thing there um, but then I ended up having to go at 230 paired up with a couple of older guys who apparently knew the course really well so it was kind of cool to play with them and kind of learn from them a little bit and, uh, and they, they played with me for like the first 12, 13 holes, and I felt like I held my own for the most part. Uh, we had some good wind on the front nine, but the back nine was just really hot, and so it was kind of a grind down the stretch for sure, just trying to piece it together and keep it going. We played from the whites, which is uh, shorter than I probably normally play, but there's pretty good yardage still. A lot of par fours on that course. You start with four consecutive par fours, and you end with five straight. There's only three par fives, uh, still the normal four par threes. So, But it was fun. I mean, I shot double bogey or better on nine of the uh, – uh, actually, a 14 of the 18 holes, I shot double bogey or better. I made nine double bogeys, which uh, you know was not great, obviously, but it's consistent at least. I made the three bogeys and two pars, I believe, and so I shot a 109 overall, which you know 55 on the front, 54 on the back. So not great necessarily because I'm still trying to get under 100, but it's certainly a step in the right direction. And I honestly felt like I probably shot a better score than I than I probably should have, based on kind of how I felt like I played at times. I don't feel like nothing was really working too great. I made some lousy mistakes in a couple places, some shots that I would have loved to have back, but. 
overall it was a very enjoyable experience and uh, uh, good to be a part of that and good to go out there and play. I, I kind of didn't, didn't want to play there for a long time because I wasn't really you know sure if I was ready, but I feel like I'm, I'm more ready now than ever before. Might as well go out there and play and see what it's like and certainly a memorable experience for me. So uh, that's pretty much all I have to say there. And we'll go to Aggie Athletics. Lastly here, just to mention a few things, uh, just to mention Aggie Baseball mainly again because of how well they've been playing. Uh, they're actually number six in the country now according to D1Baseball.com, which is really exciting for us. They swept Mississippi State over the weekend, which is our first S. SEC series sweeps in 2019 at Kentucky. So that was a uh, really cool to see. Actually, the game was on the SEC network on Sunday. So we got to watch that and get to watch that 8 2 win to seal the series sweep. And now we have one more regular season series at Ole Miss this weekend before the SEC championship tournament in Hoover. Uh, there on May 24th is when that starts, I believe. And of course, we're going to have like a, a, a first or either a first round buy or two buys before we actually get to play. So definitely looking forward to everything Aggie baseball has going on. Uh, the women's golf team is getting ready for the NCAA championship after they advanced through the uh, regional tournament there. That's cool. The women's tennis team, which we talked about briefly you know, a couple episodes ago, they're off to Champagne for, I think, the Elite Eight in the NCAA tournament. So uh, you know, certainly they still have a chance to win the whole thing, which is exciting. And then men's golf right now is in a good position to take care of business here at the Bryan Regional here at, at Traditions Golf Club and have a chance to go on to the national or the NCAA tournament uh, in Arizona, I believe, which is also where the women's tournament is. So a lot of great stuff happening for, you know, and, the, and, the, and of course, and then uh, Aggie softball as well. Might as well mention it. I'm done working, you know, with the battalion Aggie Athletics, but I still want to keep up with that here down the stretch there. Uh, in the, and they're in the NCAA tournament as well, but they're in the same bracket as Oklahoma. We all know, we, well, not everybody knows, but I know that Oklahoma is like goaded in softball and they're really amazing. So that's going to be a tough bracket to be a part of, but that kind of, you know, catches everything up and kind of puts into perspective kind of where we are right now in the middle of May, at least from our personal perspective now for our alma mater, you know. Yeah, that's great stuff, man. It's just really awesome to see how, you know, it's crazy alma mater, right? That's pretty insane to actually be able to say that now. But uh, yeah, it's definitely awesome to see all those, uh, all the uh, Aggie Athletics doing so well. You know, obviously A&M is a huge football school and a lot of money gets brought in from football, but football really hasn't ever done anything hardly. You know, obviously we have one national championship way back in the day. And it's funny how you look at all these other sports that are, you know, seemingly more competitive year in and year out. We have women's golf and men's golf doing good things. Women's tennis is having an amazing season. And then you have softball who's been solid and they're you know going to see what they can do and then obviously baseball playing so well right now just just really exciting that's obviously what i what we're paying attention to the most because we watch we've kept up with baseball more this year than those other sports but we're certainly cheering on those other sports a bunch too and hoping for the best for them but yeah baseball it's just so exciting right now the way they're playing and to sweep you know uh excuse me sweep over the weekend again Mississippi State yeah it was man Mississippi State you're talking about a team that won the national championship last year and then totally fell off this year and just has not been good at all that's kind of amazing but yeah we're it's great to sweep them over the weekend and now you know the regular, the regular season will be concluding this weekend which is going to be nice because then we get to see what happens in the SEC championship tournament and then ultimately the NCAA tournament once it gets underway and we'll see like you said the Aggies are playing so well right now and they're a team that's been talked about as you know a team that could make it to Omaha in the College World Series now it'd be so amazing to watch that and just to you know just to see that happening so um just overall really excited for all the Aggie Athletics that you mentioned how well they're playing right now and then where they're at in their respective seasons as they're winding down here as we head into the summertime but certainly excited for baseball more than anything because that's what I know best among all the sports that you talked about and certainly looking forward to their regular season concluding and then we'll see what happens uh, in the postseason for the Aggie baseball team and of course we'll see what happens with everybody else as well. 
So that's going to do it for us here on this episode of the Double Deep Sports Podcast. And in typical DDSP fashion, we came to this episode thinking that it was going to be shorter than the past episodes that we've had that have been, you know, an hour and 40 minutes plus. You know, they've been each of the last episodes has been a little bit over an hour and 40 minutes. And then here we are uh, at about an hour and 40 minutes again. So this one, not really shorter uh, than the other ones. And if anything, it's going to be a little bit longer than those ones. And that's just uh, that's just us in a nutshell, I think, for the most part, even though we thought this would be a pretty simple episode. Not that we didn't, not that we thought it was going to be super fast. We just didn't think we we're going to dive into it that much because we didn't think we had a lot of significant analysis and we thought it would be more of a funner, a fun episode, maybe a quicker episode, but it just really wasn't that. Uh, at the same time, I think it was a good episode. Obviously, for the most part, I, I enjoy what we were able to talk about. I hope that you guys enjoyed it too. hope that you guys uh, enjoy listening to all the things that we talked about here throughout the course of this episode. Um, so uh, with that being said, I thank you all for listening to this episode. If you listen to the whole thing, we certainly appreciate that. We know it was a lot. Again, we know it's always been a lot for us uh, during our, during our time here on the DDSP. So if you listen to the whole thing, we certainly appreciate that. We know you listen to a bunch of information here. But even if you listen to parts of it, we certainly appreciate that because as we, as you all know, we appreciate any any listening that you give us uh, as we're up here just on our soapbox talking about sports and enjoying this. So we thank you for that. Also, please subscribe, rate, and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to our podcast. Uh, you know, you can... Uh, if you do that for us, we think it certainly helps us in some capacity. Not really sure how many of you have actually ever done that, you know, subscribed, rated, or reviewed the podcast. I don't know if anybody ever has, honestly, but it's something that we've always said, at least for a while. So, I mean, again, if you want to, please subscribe, rate, and review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else to our podcast. Because, again, if you were to do it, I think it would help us out in some capacity, or at least it would be a nice thing uh, for you all to do for us. And then also, please, once again, follow us on social media. You can follow me on Twitter at Doopy underscore Austin and on Instagram at AU underscore dp10 once again we don't post content on there anymore but we always post when the podcast comes out and when it's available to be listened to on those handles and we would also if we had anything else that we wanted to post that was podcast related it would be on those handles so please follow us there if you don't already or at least follow me on those handles if you don't already and tyra will uh let you all know his handles once again here in just a moment so as I sign off here on this 91st episode of the, of the Double Deep Sports Podcast, once again, I'm just looking forward to all the amazing things in sports. Right now, we're at a great point here in the middle of May. You know, we have the MLB season just rolling along, and I enjoy the regular season as much. I just really enjoy baseball. The fact that I talked about last week, just every single day there's games, and I enjoy that. I love keeping up with the games on a daily basis and keeping up with what's happening. And I know Tyler does a great job with the MLB news and notes, and it's always fun when we go over that on a weekly basis. But I'm looking forward to the MLB season continuing to roll along here in the middle of May. Uh, and then, of course, looking forward to the NBA playoffs, uh, continuing with the uh, Eastern Conference Finals and the Western Conference Finals that I talked about, that we talked about a long time ago at this point. But those are going to be really exciting series. It's going to be fun to see how they unfold. I know the Heat just won game one of the Eastern Conference Finals, and so we'll be excited to talk about that next week and talk about exactly what happened here this evening. So looking forward to those series moving along. And then, of course, uh, the big thing this weekend as well, uh, the PGA Championship at Southern Hills Country Club in Tulsa. That's going to be a lot of fun to watch. And of course, it's the second major of the year. The majors always obviously more important than every other tournament. And so we had the masters and that was a lot of fun back in April. Now here we are a little more than a month later, really excited here uh, to watch the PGA championship and to see what happens here this weekend in that tournament. So that's all the stuff I'm looking forward to. Um, certainly looking forward to uh, watching all of it and seeing how it unfolds and then getting back to you all next week to talk about all of it. Uh, it should be a lot of fun and I just uh, look forward to it and I look forward to speaking with you all again next week here on the double dupe sports podcast. 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, not a whole lot else to say. I mean, you covered it all. There's so much to look forward to. There's still a lot on our schedule. We're not like sure what the episode's going to look like next week. We know we'll be able to kind of recap what happens in the conference finals for both the Western and Eastern conference playoffs. Uh, they're in the NBA playoffs. We'll be able to look back at what's happened so far, where those series currently sit, and then, of course, recapping the PGA Championship, which is going to be really fun to watch this weekend. Um, and then, of course, anything else we can kind of mention, which is probably going to be, I don't think we're going to have any NFL content next week for the first time in a while, nothing I can think of, which is probably a good thing to kind of get a break from that, and that would be inevitably give us a shorter episode just by default, which would probably be good for all of us, I think. Because, again, this is not as we'll be imagine coming in, but uh, it is what it is. We, we covered the content like we – you know, we obviously have a time frame in our mind, but at the same time, we just want to make sure that we cover everything to the best of our ability, and whatever happens, happens, and unfortunately, sometimes that makes it a really long episode, And but if you want to listen to just chunks of this and sections, you know, obviously, we talk about the NBA for like 30 minutes, and the NFL is about 30 minutes, and MLB and all the other stuff about 30, 40 minutes, so it kind of just got, kind of goes in that pattern, and so you kind of split it up and kind of listen to little bits and pieces of it as the week goes on. We're not going to come back again until next week, next Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We'll record it at some point, get the episode out there, so that's certainly how we'll go about it, and um you know, next week we'll, we'll bring more MLB news and notes to the table. As you mentioned, baseball, you play every single day, and that gives us news and notes pretty much every single day. You never know what's going to happen. So that's always exciting to see what kind of things happen around the diamond moving forward. So certainly a lot to look forward to still. Uh, you guys can follow me on social media, again, on Instagram and Twitter, at tdoop25. Um, so uh, certainly a lot to look forward to uh, from a sports world perspective, and we'll be able to come back next week and bring it all around and, and talk about anything that's notable, preview anything that's notable, and have a great conversation again. Again, you mentioned it. You know, we're just, we thought it would be a nice, comfortable, relaxing episode. I think for the most part it was. Uh, we kind of almost felt like that was a connection to a, a shorter episode, which wasn't the case, but it was a good conversation I think we had over the last, you know, almost you know, 120 minutes now, or, or 110 minutes now, but uh, good conversation, good discussions uh, in this episode. Felt like we uh, bounced back uh, off of each other a little bit, you know, pretty good in this episode. We're going to kind of discuss a lot of great things, put together a lot of great content analysis and kind of our thoughts about everything around the sports world right now, and, you know, we'll have episode 10 next week, uh, this season 5, and we'll see how what it brings to the table we don't really exactly know but it's going to be great content so uh thanks for listening as always and we hope you guys join us next week right here on the double dupe sports podcast